detective, thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Care Boy, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Illustrated Fan. I am your host, Nathan Bartleball. I am joined by my co-host, Dave Becker. Dave, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you. Uh, it's good good to be back. It seems like forever since we It is. It's the first time of the new year. Yeah, it has been a while yeah. because the last time we recorded, uh, we we were trying to, to kind of uh, scooch in a Christmas episode, but didn't didn't quite happen. And then we, happen. yeah, we, we've all been busy. I mean, Dave, you only, you only do like eight other podcasts, so I'm not sure why you're <laughs> never available, but uh, the same way I've been like all over the place these days. So, yeah. um, which is good. It's really good. There's lots of cool stuff going on. But uh, the last time we got together, it was for the Miyazaki episode, which uh, yep. was really cool. And actually, you know, I was checking this out the other day. I was looking at the stats and everything. And the Miyazaki episode, with the exception of our very first episode, the Miyazaki episode is the most listened to of the Illustrated Fan episode. So, awesome. Uh, oh, that's and, great. Yeah. And we brought back our guest from that episode. So, hey. Christian, yes. you're back. You want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Hey. Uh, yeah, I'm Chris. Uh, like Nate said, I was the previous lucky guy to be on the Miyazaki uh, podcast. Uh, glad you all liked it. And the big thing, the big thing that's different between last time and this time is, uh, Chris, when you were on the previous episode, you were talking about uh, your impending uh, graduation and finishing up college. And you graduated, right? Yeah, I am now a full sale alumni. They, As opposed they, to they a Illuminati. They had a little trouble with your name, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I sent uh, Dave a, a video because it was live streamed. Um and the, the, the poor woman, because uh, my name spelled a little weird, uh, she she called me Christian Necht, which is wrong <laughs> on both accounts. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds cool, though. It sounds yeah, kind Christian? of regal. Christian. <laughs> Christian. Christian. And ha- yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, my last name being Bartleball, I got all kinds of weird uh you know and, and they always try to go with something really like elaborate too like bottle bourgeois no 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 bourgeois well even dave gets my last name wrong do i yeah you call me necked it's not necked what it's is connect connect oh, like connect I, well i i think i officially got it wrong when i introduced you last time christian so uh, well, that's because of me i told you connect okay, that's well, okay. there you go i can i get your first name right at least yeah, thank you. You know, today I was like, hey, Christian, introduce yourself. <laughs> no, I didn't know that, but that, that's good to know. So we've learned, we've all learned something already. It's already a great episode. Uh, 
so tonight's episode, I'm really looking forward to it. We have a review of a of a brand new 2022 movie on Netflix, an animated film, and then we're going to do. Uh, Dave and I were, were trying to come up with an idea uh, to do almost like a you know uh, like a list. We didn't see enough. I don't know if we didn't see enough, but there weren't that many 2021 animated movies, and I don't no. think all of us had seen them. So to kind of compose like a best of list, I'm going to try hard for next year to kind of see as many as we can and, and do that. But we wanted to to kind of try that. It, it's worked out on the other some of the other podcasts to do like a top ten, and we we have not uh, touched any Disney movies really. You know, uh, no. Disney's a big. I mean, obviously a huge name in animation. Uh, let's face it, it's sincerely one of the main reasons that animation is even popular in America. And, yes. you know, probably internationally in some cases, too, is due to Walt Disney and the influence Walt Disney had. Now, again, much like Miyazaki, things like this can take tons of episodes. I personally, sure, Dave, you'd probably be up for it, too. I'd love to just do an episode that just dives into the sort of uh, history of Disney, of Walt yeah. Disney and 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 his work in the company in the early days. I think that'd make it be a lot of fun. But tonight, we're just going to do something a little simple. We're going to do our top 10 favorite Disney animated films. And we do have a couple of like a basic uh, house rules with it. One of them just being that we decided not to include Pixar. I think for the purpose that Pixar almost has a top, you know, like I feel they, like it would they, dominate the list. They deserve it. Their uh, own they episode. Deserve, yeah. They deserve their own episode. Yeah. Because they were a, a separate entity for a lot of years. Um, and, you know, there was Disney was just distributing their movies. As a matter of fact, let's be honest, for that time frame, from the mid '90s going into the early 2000s, if it wasn't for Pixar, Disney animation would have been in major trouble. Oh uh, yeah, and it really kind of was like it pretty much was non-existent there for a few years. Yeah, I think Chicken I... Little was was one of their biggest releases. <laughs> what does that tell you? you know, yeah, there. I remember that for a very long time prior to Princess and the Frog, Home on the Range. Yeah which is a, a movie about talking cows with Roseanne Barr. <laughs> it was like there. I thought for so long that was going to be the final Disney hand-drawn animation film. And it depressed me, but uh, you know we'll, what? Princess and the frog was a nice return. Yeah. yeah. To, to, to the hand-drawn animation and sort of the roots of Disney. Um, that, that was a, that was a, that was a strong one. It was, it was good. And I was happy that it was, uh, and they brought, they brought some of the heavy hitters back to work on it. Um, I uh, I'd like to see it be better recognized uh, than it is, but yeah, it's yeah. it's a good one. Um, but so we're going to do that. And the other other rule that we kind of had is that we did mention that you know uh, I don't know if we ever came down on a side with this. I ultimately decided for my own personal list. It doesn't matter, um, Chris and Dave, what you guys do with it. But I decided not to put in movies uh, like a Mary Poppins or a Peach Dragon or. I guess Roger Rabbit might apply where, uh, which is touched into, Yeah. That had an animation, but we're really live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, there's one or two that could probably make this list that don't fall on that, where there's maybe like a very small component of live action, but I've, you know, the bed knobs and broomsticks and things like that. To me, those are live action movies that almost use the animation, like special effects. Right. And so I thought, you know, I don't know if that's fair to compare them to full blown animated movies. Uh, but, you know, so other things, though, like stop motion and stuff like that, if it fell under the Disney banner, I considered it. Anyway, let's move on to our kind of feature review before we do our list of a, of a movie that dropped on Netflix. I want to say last month, the minute I saw it land there, I sent a message to Dave. It said, Dave, I think we should review this. It looks like it would be for the show. It looks like it'd be right up our alley. And it's called The House. And 
I want to see uh, Chris or Dave. Do either one of you want to set this movie up for us? Um, well, the tag again, it's House to uh, 2022, it's on Netflix, and uh, it's actually, it's it's um, looking at the trying to find the directors here, and it doesn't say a lot about them. I know that it, there were several directors, it's three, it's three different segments, is what it is. Um, and I'm just looking at the IMDb uh, synopsis here, it says across different eras, and what it is is past, present, future. A poor family, an anxious developer, and a fed-up landlady become tied to the same mysterious house in this animated dark comedy. Now, what's interesting is when it's in the past, the poor family, are they're human. Then you get the anxious developer is, what is it, a rat or a mouse? And the landlady, when it gets to that, you're, you're cats. They become cats. So... And it is all tied to this the same house, you know. In in the uh, in in the past, this family um, was living, you know, uh, living in this tiny little house, and they they heard that um, this this sort of wealthy uh, architect slash artist wanted to build them a house. And um, originally, they're like, "Well, we don't know if we can afford that." It's like, "Well, it's free. He's just going to build it to you, build it for you for free." Well, they move in and they find out that it's, you know, there's, there's definitely more going on in this house. And it's, it seems to, it seems to take control of the parents. There are these two um, young kids. Um, uh, you, you have a nine-year-old daughter and then, a, and then an infant daughter. Um, and the house is taking control of the parents and then the kids are become lost in what's almost like a maze in this house. And the house is constantly changing. The guy who designed it is is there, and he keeps building. He keeps adding to it. It's almost like it's it's almost like he's it's torturing them in a way. Um, but the parents are buying right into it. They've become mesmerized by this house. Uh, going forward to the developer, the developer is trying to um, sell it. He's again in love with this house. He's trying to sell it, and um, the, these uh, this couple comes in. Um, you know, the, the the showing doesn't go great except for this couple. They say, "Oh, we're very interested." So he's going to do, go out of his way to, um, you know, sort of appease them. Well, they just they move in, basically, is what it is. Um, and he's letting the, he lets them stay the night. He lets them sort of, you know, just just hang out there. And to, to the point that he sort of is like, hey, wait a second. You know, there's, there's, there's something going on here. And um, anyway, I don't want to go too deep into each segment. And then the final one is um, you have uh, the uh, the landlord. The, the cat who wants to fix up the house. Now, this is set, set in a future where, um, uh, I don't know, there's a massive flood. And this house is the only thing around. I mean, there's like water everywhere. Um, and the two tenants pay with like by fish and by, you know, uh, by other things, They're not paying with money. And the landlady is like, I want money. I got to fix this house up. I got to keep building on this house. I got to make sure I got to fix it. Um, well, a, this sort of new age, um, I don't know, hippie sort of guru, whatever shows up and, um, it's, it's more of an eye-opening experience for the landlady who at first isn't really sure about this guy. He helps the other two, the other two tenants, but then ultimately helps, you know, uh, does something to help her as well. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, and, um, turn it over to you for th initial thoughts. Uh, it was mad creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, indeed. Like I said, you know, before the recording, it gave me serious Coraline vibes. 
Yeah, I can see that definitely. Um, the the first. I'm assuming we're going to start with the first one. That one immediately, I got like uh, house versus home sort of vibes. Yep. Um, because yep. the parents, they're they're first of all like the father's uh family. They come over in the beginning, and they're just nasty. Yeah. <laughs> he even warns that the daughter says are they good people no he just yeah. says no i like it was, there's people coming over are they good people no and i thought oh man i've been there with my kids <laughs> prepping people for fam- familial visits yes <laughs> and they were like you know insulting the father like every chance they got these backhanded compliments and all that and, and what i thought was funny was like even when they got into the new house you never they never showed up to the new house no so like what was the they point were out. they were out that what it was it, it's funny what i took away from that opening sound i'm sorry i don't mean to step on you nathan if you want to chime in first no no go for it no, you're okay fine. what i took away from that whole opening segment was and it's what you were saying uh christian it's it's house to home i mean even though they were living in that small tiny little uh little house at the beginning they were happy you know, they were a happy family. And then the then his family visits and awakens something in him or make him feel inferior. That's really what they did. They made him feel inferior, every single one of them, um, to the point that, um, and, you know, they accused him. They, accused, you know, they said, your father was a drunk and you're a lot like him. Then you see the father drinking. You see yeah. him drinking, which you didn't see. Uh, well, you know, setting it up, you wouldn't have noticed that. But then it opens the opens the way for him to accept this offer to move into a bigger, more beautiful house because his family's made him feel inferior. And then when they get in there, it's just a living hell. It's mostly for the children, but then it eventually becomes a living hell for all of them. Yeah, this to me. And so each of these individual segments has a sort of a, 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 a title or a like a sort of uh, tagline. And the first one says, and heard within a lie is spun. And the animation style on this one, so this, and they, and they all have very similar animation styles, but I noticed that this one is, it's, it, it has the human characters. It's the only one of the three that feature human characters inhabiting the house. This is uh, Emma DeSwift and Mark James Rolls. They were directed by two people. And the people have this kind of weird plush, but almost furry, feel to them like the faces look like they would be fuzzy if you were able to reach and touch them. like dolls yes like little yeah. like little dolls and i think that's what kind of uh continues the, the core line vibe chris that you're talking about and this to me of the three segments this is the most that feels like a horror film in a lot of ways yeah. it does have that element almost has, has a little bit of a few shining vibes to it where they move <laughs> into this giant house and this house and the you know there is a uh a spokesperson, almost like a butler, a go-between that is supposed to be there that he kind of goes in between for this architect. And by the Mr. way, Thomas. yes, Mr. yeah, Thomas. the Mr. Thomas. And what's interesting about him, though, is, of course, he's doing exactly what you think, which is he's he's relaying the messages. You realize that something's up and weird, like particularly when he comes in and the husband and the wife have been just sort of they're just toiling all the time or they're like they're just trapped in the house. The wife is constantly sewing like the the drapes and the husband is usually just trying to get the fire started, keep the fire running. And they're just fixated on the house to the point that they don't even seem to realize they have children anymore. And 
they he comes in and he tells them things and and he brings them certain things or he'll come in oh i'm sorry the staircase is gone he's re he's readjusting things he keeps mentioning he's changing things don't worry about it so the kids come out and the staircase is gone you know and they have to go through another room and down a ladder and the little girl sees weird weird construction workers that seem zombified just you know standing in places of the house adding new corridors or new hallways and at one point mr thomas walks in and offers them these like uh their their clothing but they look like they're part of a sofa and that's when i started to get concerned (laughs) it's like that looks like you're just making them part of the house and uh you know i don't want to go too deep into what's going on here but i think it is everything you mentioned the house versus the home uh but there's this there's a there's a term i'm sure you guys have all heard called house poor you know those mm-hmm. people who buy an enormous, amazing house that has everything they absolutely want, and they spend most of the rest of their life just trying to pay this house off, and yeah. uh, and and they're in a sense trapped by it. And and a lot of those people I know, they're constantly like concerned about money. They're 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 looking for ways to uh, they they've done something out of their means. I, if you have the means, it's fine. But uh, sometimes you'll encounter a situation where someone is sort of stressed out that they, they sit in the middle of this grand house and they just worry about money or worry about what they'll do next or worry about how can we outfit this house to look more like our friend's house down the street and these people don't care you know like you said the family doesn't show up the family yeah, could care less right. nothing he would ever do in their eyes would ever measure up so why why bother but right. there that's kind of what's happening here in a surrealist sort of event this idea that you you just basically uh, find yourself slaving away to live in this this house. Almost every story deals with this. This idea that I'm pouring my life into this, and eventually all I end up is I'm just the furniture, just another thing <laughs> sitting in the middle of this grand big thing. That's why. Oh, I'm, that's why I've been Actually, very happy um, with my townhouse, Dave. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they were like, necessarily pouring their lives into it. Uh, I felt it was more like um, they were just reduced to their own material desires yeah yeah you know, like they, they became what they what they wanted to have yeah what i mean by lives is they're they're sort of obsessing over this house they're not spending time with their kid they're not even caring yeah. for the baby anymore they're, and they're we gotta get the drapes up yeah destroying everything from their from from the past i mean this father's like basically you see him dragging things down the hall to burn he's watching the old house be destroyed and he's laughing yeah, yeah yeah exactly he's lost exactly. all sense of himself so and i was exactly. like hours ago he moved out of it <laughs> <laughs> time, time is a little bit amorphous here in all of these stories but i liked this so overall i'm curious what you guys thought about this because i thought this was a great start it had a very menacing ominous tone it does oh, get yeah. pretty dark and strange and creepy i think it is a horror story uh there's no blood or gore or monsters per se but i think this is a this would definitely have fit well into a classic horror story in almost a poe or an ambrose beer sort of vein i oh, think yeah i mean when you you have those two little kids they're trapped upstairs um, the parents are not responding to them. They're calling to their father. He's just more interested in getting rid of the old stuff and not, he's not paying attention to them. They find this Mr. Thomas who's been helpful before. And at this point he's just sitting there weeping. I'm, I'm, uh, and I don't want to give it away, but what he says, um, because I thought that was like really interesting and showed kind of how screwed <laughs> yeah when you, yeah, he's in the corner was. he's lost it and you, you have a little bit of it all along the way where he's talking to himself and he's unsure and it's like 
oh, wait, these people are trying to sell you on this thing. You know, it's also a bad sign that you meet this guy out in the middle of the woods. You know, he's yeah, just hanging yeah. out in the woods. And every time he shows up, he just giggles and then leaves. Oh, yeah, you would think. <laughs> yeah. Usually the only people you meet in the forest at midnight to... are the devil. <laughs> yeah. If you've been out if you've been out drinking, you don't usually um, maybe maybe you hallucinate that someone's walked up and offered you a house, but it doesn't normally happen. That guy, though, what, what was his name? It was like Mr. Van something. Mr. Van Schoenbeek. Oh, he yes. gave me the chills. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, you could see him like peeking in through the windows, like yeah. under like the floorboards. Like he was everywhere. There's no moment of this that isn't creepy. And um, we've talked <laughs> about voice cast. This is a good voice ha- voice cast too. Matthew Good is in it. Mia Goth is the little girl. Is the voice of the little girl. Yeah. Um, Miranda Richardson. Yeah, yeah. So one of the ants. Yeah. But I really liked it. I thought it set the tone. And and what did you guys think of it uh, overall? Like, is just a oh yeah. I mean. You're right. I mean, of the of the three, this is the horror. Yeah, this is the horror story, and um, it, it is creepy. There's no doubt about it. The with with what happens in this house, and and then where it ultimately goes. You know, where the story uh, ultimately goes as far as with this family. Um, the other ones, you know, t- tend to be a little bit. It's it's funny because all three of them are about being obsessed with this house. Yeah. 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 All three stories are about an obsession with the house where eventually people realize, Hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't the, you know, the right way to go. I mean, even with the, even, and, and I don't want to jump ahead of the second one but with the third one, with the landlady, with what she's doing, you can, you can kind of commiserate with her in a way. You know, she's got these sort of deadbeat tenants there. They're not helping her out. They're not giving her the money she needs to fix it up. But then you realize, okay, well, this is out in the middle. You know, this is a this is sort of a post-apocalyptic reality. How, what is the money going to give you to fix it up anyway? Where are you going to go to buy materials? Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that. But it's an obsession with the house. It's this driving right. desire to keep this house going to, you know, and you, you see that in all three of, you see, you see the start of the obsession when it's built. And then in the later stories, you see how people become sort of uh, enraptured with the house or maybe under its spell. Like a curse. Like, yeah, yeah. A yeah. curse in a way. Yeah. Until it gets to the very end. It, and then is... finally something happens. In a sense, all three are sort of horror stories, but mostly because of that element that the you have people who are obsessed with the house, and uh, you know there's that obsession with material things and trying to hold on to them, even though they're always going to be fleeting. They will always be fleeting, and so you see this in different ways. The middle, but I do appreciate. I think that it's a it's a smart thing that each story is a little bit lighter than the one that came before it because I don't know if I would have been able to do well with two stories that were as dark as the first story. Uh, no, no they, they're definitely a little bit of a different vibe. And the other, I yeah. kind of laughed when, when when he was talking on the phone, and you think he's talking to to uh, he's he's romantic, like his, um, uh, I guess a, a it's a romance where he and then he says sweetheart, and they hang up. Yeah, yeah, yes. The second one, and then you find out who he's really talking to. That's yes. <laughs> I, there's a there's a there's a like just one review on Letterbox that says I want to know more about this uh, mouse's relationship with his and then blank the word the word in there. I don't want to ruin the, <laughs> right. the surprise, but it's like yeah, that's right, a good point. Right. But and Jarvis Cocker is the voice of that mouse, and again we've we've kind of alluded to this, but everybody in this segment are all mice. They're anthropomorphic mice. Um, 
Right. And there are also bugs. It would become fur bugs that are infesting this house. And it's interesting because when the, when the episode starts, I was starting to wonder, is this going to go, particularly after the one I just watched. So after that first one, I'm thinking, is this going to be Jarvis Cocker as a mouse versus like, like cockroaches a la like creep show, you know, I'm waiting for this to be, (laughs) but the, but the fur bugs are almost like, you're supposed to hone in on those and initially like this is his problem his problem is they have these bugs he's got to make sure these bugs don't cause him problems when he goes to throw this party and, and show this house but it turns out that the people that are they're coming in to see this house are his real problem are his real infestation right it's not the bugs exactly. although the bugs have a very beautiful dance number in the middle of this which may be my favorite part of the whole movie <laughs> when the bugs come out and <laughs> have this sort of like Beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautifully grotesque or grotesquely beautiful. Um, it was wonderful. I thought either way. Uh, it was. Um, it's so strange, though. It's like a full blown, almost like show, you know, show stopping little number that the bugs have, and there's no real explanation for why. But there's not a lot of explanation for anything that happens here. There's a kind of a, almost a surrealism here that reminds me of stuff like the exterminating angel. You know, those that's sort of like. Uh, Oh, the Bunuel, uh, the yes. Bunuel. yeah, like there, there's some of him in this movie, I think, uh, the way some of this, this surrealism occurs, particularly I when you that, have those yeah. people that keep saying, you know, like, oh, we're very interested in the house. And it's so sinister, like every time they say it, and it, you really know that it just means they're going to like linger and they're going to step over <laughs> one more boundary and one more boundary and one more boundary. <laughs> this one's kind of disturbing the way it ends, too, like... Uh, you know what happens at the very end of this is kind of kind of strange you know i mean i think you get a feeling of what is happening but it 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 feels unsettling in its own way it's not maybe the horror ending of the of the segment that came before it but it does underscore again the difference between house and home like you're saying i think that's a that's a theme all through here i will say what did you guys think about the fact that we shift through time periods and yet, uh, and we shift the character. So, you know, is, is there any good reason why the characters in the next time are mice? You know, it is that meaningful? Is it supposed to be sort of like a, uh, you know, are, is this a metaphorical or stylistic choice? Or, or are we watching things happen in different, like, alternate dimensions? I was never quite sure what we were supposed to make of that. But I thought it was a very interesting choice because it made the movie feel very strange to me. <laughs> It did. And, you know, I haven't thought about it uh, a lot either. I mean, it just seemed like um, I'm sure there's a reason for it because it it seems like this movie was very well thought out as far as the themes that they were going for. Yeah. Um, But uh, I just saw it a little bit ago, so I'm not 100 percent sure, to be honest with you. Yeah, me neither. Then then Lost is Truth That Can't Be Won was the title of that second segment. So you and then. Uh, you come to the the last segment, but I thought the second segment is maybe uh, I'll wait till we talk about all three, but I, it was, it was the most frantic. It might've been the one I was able to relate to the most. I felt like I I could get in on his wavelength of anxiety pretty well. <laughs> I felt like, mm-hmm. well, to, if I could go back uh, to what you, your previous question, I, I don't know if there was like a correlation between you know, human mouse and then cat. But what I thought was interesting was the fact that he was a rat and who we think are pests. And then he's dealing with pests. Yes. Which are yes. The, the bugs. Yeah, that's very true. So I thought that was just some maybe some sort of irony or symbolism there. That's very true. 
Um, but the for the overarching theme for the second one, I I got like um, I thought the bugs were like symbolism for mental health or like, you know, like Nathan said, anxiety or depression, because on the news, it says that they were in like a recession. Um, yeah. So there's obviously some economic stress there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like just the name, like the developer, like he doesn't have a name. So that I think is also nobody in that segment has a name. <laughs> yeah, nobody. And I think it shows like a, a loss of identity in pursuit for that, you know, again, that that luxury trying to make money. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and the ending, especially when, you know, he has that particular issue. He's not even like, I guess, human, quote unquote, anymore. He you reverts. Know? Yeah, he reverts. Right. He's yes. like primal. So right. Yeah, and then we get to that last segment, which uh, featured. You know, the characters are all now cats. It is futuristic in a sense, or it's in the future, I guess. That one's called "Listen Again" and "Seek the Sun." I think it's safe to say this is the most hopeful, the most positive. Well, I like yes, this one best. Yeah, it, it, uh, yeah. This one, this one was interesting because that 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 lead. Um, oh God, what was, I'm trying to think of her name, the, 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 the character, Rosa, Rosa, who was the, um, the landlady, you know, she's very much, she's annoyed by her tenants because they're, you know, the one guy is paying with fish and the other one's paying, (laughs) you know, with whatever they're not, they're not giving her the money. She wants the money to fix the house up because the water's coming out all dirty, but it's because of, you know, where they are, they're surrounded by water. And at first you feel kind of bad for her. Like I said, you you want her to get, uh, yeah, these guys, these things are, these they're deadbeats. But then something happens where one of them leaves and she starts to feel a little bit of regret because it's almost as if that relationship with this person was as important to her. And it was, you know, again, it was tied to the house, but it became important. And when that person wasn't there anymore, it was a void, you know, it, it became like, almost like the house is not going to be enough. That I think is what it ultimately is for all of the characters in all these movies. The house will never be enough. You need something more, even if it is sort of cast this spell over you. Ultimately, it's just going to be empty if you don't, if there's not something more. And I think we saw that in the second one, when there wasn't something more where it ultimately went. And in the first one as well, in this one, it's more hopeful because this guy comes in. Was it Cosmo? Yeah. Yeah. Cosmos. Cosmo comes in this sort of new age. And, and at first the, you know, I wasn't sure about him. I said, like, what's this, what's this guy, you know, what, what's he doing? But then you realize that's exactly what was needed was for him to come into this house. I thought I'm with, you. I think this one was probably my, um, the most interesting of the three. Yeah. And when he came in, didn't he say something like, Oh, like the soul of the house is sick and you need to fix the foundation or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But it seems like the soul of this house has been sick since the moment it went up. Yeah. From the moment it was built. Right. And, and it's interesting because it's almost at this point, it requires a transformation. It's got to become something different than it was yes. or it's, right. or it's not going to survive. And it, no, no one else is going to survive with it. And, 
I um yeah, I, I think that the stories here's the thing with the, with the film is I think these stories are definitely they all have the feel of a fable. This entire film has a very sort of dreamy, sort of slow moving feel. I think that uh, there are people who may find it a little bit hard to get into, but honestly, you know, I think each story sort of stands on its own and even though they're not deeply connected other than the house they uh they have a nice sort of cohesiveness to them that give the film uh, a unity to it sort of a it, it feels very much uh one whole piece when it's done you know it re- these really do yes. feel like different interiors different uh rooms of the same place and i kind of loved that about it it is a very uh even though we're talking about it has sinister moments it has some horror there's a certain gentleness that runs through the whole thing that i really appreciated i don't know that i've ever quite seen in a film done like this before a big i was a huge fan last year of a movie called the wolf house which was uh very kind mm. of fevered and 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 uh, savage sort of it, it had a very kind of sinister feel to it which was all intentional it meant it was yeah. meant to put you on edge it was meant to make you feel anxious i mean it was that was the i mean the most interesting thing about because that took place in, in the house yes that also had and kind every of every room that every time it's shifted to another room it's it was morph and the characters themselves were morphing which i thought was really cool yeah this in this one, it really is about this house is going to it's going to take victims. It's going to it's going yeah. to overtake people. And you see that until the final when the, and if this guy Cosmo never showed up, it could have had a very different conclusion, you know, or very I should say the same conclusion, <laughs> the third story that we got in the other two. Yeah. And and so I, I really liked it. I appreciated that it had a kind of it, its theme and its story were sort of unified. It has uh, beautiful animation. That's the thing I want to talk about is I don't know that I've ever seen stop motion quite exactly like this. The, 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 the level of not just the level of detail, but the way it was all constructed. And I understand that three different directors did these pieces, but particularly when you get into the, the, the last two segments and in and really even the last one. Yes, it's a stop motion, but there's a sense where you almost feel like you're watching like puppets or something. The way they move, like there's a weird yeah. fluidity that I'm not used to in stop motion that that makes it feel almost like something else, like uh, a little closer to Leica, but but even even different than that in some ways. I don't know if you felt that way. I felt like I was watching dioramas almost, you know, and 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 little dolls move around in this. I yes, it was stop motion, but something about the nature of the stop motion it felt a little more concrete. It felt like not everything was always moving, but you, the characters were. And so it created a different sensibility to me. I think, I think especially in that third one. Yes. I think it really stands out in that one. What you, what you're talking about. Definitely. Right. The characters are dynamic and the house is not. Yes. Uh, I, I said that I think it makes them feel more alive. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And and this, and it really is. I mean, this. I'm, I'm wondering. I, one of the things I always liked about Leica was on the DVDs, and even sometimes in the end credits, they would show you the process. Yes. I'm thinking of the box trolls. I don't know. You remember the very end of the box trolls? It shows them in like sped up, sped up, like it, making it the shows world. the guys coming in and doing the, you know, the the movements and everything, and speeding it up to show that. That I would love to see that with with this one as well. Um, especially the third segment. I think that the, in that third segment with those characters, um, with the cats, it really, really 
at Cam- I mean, all three segments are pretty amazing. They really are. The first one, like we're saying, is like horror. The second one is 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 a um, uh, it's 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 like a comedy in a way, but uh, also dark comedy, yeah, like a black and comedy, dealing like. with <laughs> consumerism and 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 just you know yeah. the the you know. Um, but then when it got to the third one, it's just a very different world. This house has been isolated by water, and yet you have a landlady who's like, "I need money to fix it up." And like like I said earlier, where is she going to buy this stuff? How is she going to yeah. get it to fix this house up? Yeah, and it's like that that last segment had, you know, and we mentioned it like segment two. It's almost like uh, it's like Tati by way of Bonuel, right? But yeah. that like <laughs> third segment, it almost has like a like a um, like a, uh, Jeanette, the director that did uh, Amelie and City of Lost Amelie, Children yes. and Delicatessen, which also had like a dilapidated uh, – a apartment complex you know the, like if i think the sensibility in that last third reminded me most of something like that like almost like a gilliam or or again you know like the city of lost children and this sort of very right. magical feel the third segment is my favorite but i do love all of them i i really got into the energies of the second one but i think i think the third one was was where story-wise i felt like kind of all the threads were coming together because even though these are standalone tales. You're sort of completing the journey of this house and the yes. arc of the house, if you will. Yes. And, um, but I was very, I was very happy with this. I feel like this is a great example. This is Netflix really just taking a chance to go uh, to, to put something out there. That's weird. Almost for the sake yeah. of being weird. <laughs> and I'll tell you what Netflix is into with, when it comes to animation, I know that they, did they do, what was that one that came out a few years? Was it the hand? Oh, what is it? My body? Like, where's my body or something where's like my, that? Where's my body? Something yeah. like that. Yes. I can't remember what it was called. And then they had a a Christmas one that was really interesting. The guy who wanted to be a post or he was forced to be a postmaster. Was that Klaus? Oh, Klaus? Yeah. Klaus. That's yeah. it. Yes, Klaus. That was a really good one as well. So Netflix, oh, yeah. when it comes to animation... I think they do an awesome job. My favorite and one of my favorite animated movies of last year was the Mitchells versus the machines, which was Netflix. I thought it was very good. Nice. Um, awesome. But yeah. So how about ratings on this one out of, on a, on a 10 scale, uh, Chris, what would you give this? Oh, I give it a nine out of 10. Nice. Dave, have I had to you? watch it again to kind of like, <laughs> I know, understand it a little bit better, but like, I feel like by the second time I was like, all right, I got it. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd probably give it, you know what? I'm, I'd give it a nine out of 10. Absolutely. I mean, I was, I thought it was just fascinating, you know, especially when you realize what they're doing with that. It's all set in this house and that everybody seems to be obsessed uh, or the people who are, I should say the, 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 the primary owners at that moment or the, 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 the ones in charge of that house uh, become obsessed with it. I loved that uh, thread through all three stories three very different realities and three very different, you know, uh, different sort of characterizations of the people who were in control of this house. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was put together just marvelously. Yeah. Th- this kind of thing is, is like right in my wheelhouse. I, I do appreciate uh, Chris. I love a movie that you kind of have to watch more than once. Uh, it, you know, from a perspective, there are movies you watch more than once just to have the, the ride, but then there's movies you watch more than once. Because uh, you feel almost they're not done with you, or you're not done with them. You know, you need to yeah, exactly. let them soak in a little bit more. And this is exactly 
that kind of movie. I'm right there with you guys. It's a nine out of 10 for me. It's fantastic. If, uh, unless this year is extraordinary in terms of animation films, I think this will definitely be on an end of year list. I mean, not maybe not just for animation, you know, I just think it was a wonderful, uh, kind of, I'm with you. Yes. You I'm hit that you sweet spot and I, and it's original, it's different. Uh, and it's, it's very cool. Um, English I, teachers would love this movie because there's so much symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's symbol, there's symbolism, but it's also symbolism that I think is in some senses easy to grasp. I mean, we're not. Uh, it may sound like we're doing a deep dive here, but once you see the movie, these the this is what the movie's about. The movie right. and its metaphors are hand in hand, and that's what I like about it. It it it, it doesn't try to uh, be this lofty puzzle that you can't solve. I think that most of the themes we're discussing are more or less right there on the surface, but it's yeah. the mood and the ambiance that the movie develops that really makes it special. But then it carries it home in that last third where it brings the story to a close. It doesn't, it could have ended ambiguously, which is what usually problems I have with these very ambitious movies. They get all their stuff, they gather it up and then they trip right before they go, the, they cross the finish yeah. line. And I felt like this movie finished on top i thought the last image of the film was perfect it gives you closure yeah yep so very cool i'm glad that it turned out because it was a i was like man if this one is awful no one's gonna <laughs> we're gonna be less likely to take a chance in the future but well, watching the trailer was just like oh my god what the hell is going on there's so much <laughs> i get so happy when i see trailers like that i don't know if you guys feel oh, when yeah. i see a movie oh, yeah. uh D dave and i we reviewed uh, on the podcast before uh not on illustrate fan but on fam galaxy dark city and i remember the first time i saw yes. a trailer for that movie and i was like what the hell is going on and it was exactly what yeah. i wanted to feel like if you go back and watch that trailer that's a master class and showing you showing you this amazing world and you have no clue how any of it fits into anything. And that's what exactly, I liked about this yeah. trailer. I had no idea what I was seeing or what I was, what was happening. And yet the experience of watching the movie is, is not convoluted. You know, it, it has a very right. flowing um, surreal, but also a certain sensibility that allows you to tune into it. So I highly recommend it. It's a must see for me, particularly if you're an animation fan and uh, it's on Netflix, you can see it now. So very cool. And that brings us then to our, uh, that took a little bit of uh, longer there with, with the review, but I, I think it was a, it was a meatier movie than I was expecting. And yeah, uh, it was. So, I, think it, I think it kind of, I think it kind of required that. Yeah. So what we're going to do now, we are going to do our top 10 Disney animated movies. I think we're, we're, uh, a lot of these movies probably need very little introduction. I think uh, I don't know how I I don't know how many of my movies uh, are even you know that deep of a cut that people won't have heard of them. But I think we'll go through this relatively quickly. I, what I do is we'll do round robin. We'll introduce the movie. We can say a few things about it, and then why. Mo mostly, I think we can focus on why it's on the list as opposed to giving synopses because I think uh, people who don't know what some of these movies are about can kind of look them up. So I think we can. Uh, is everyone cool with that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, we could we can talk about them and and give our additional opinions if you hear there's a title there and you want to comment on. It, we we can certainly do that. So what I'll do, uh, Chris, would you like to start with your number ten movie? My number ten. Um. So yeah, like you said earlier, it was actually kind of really hard. Um. Especially, I had to be really careful not to pick Pixar because I did pick a few Pixar's. I was like, oh shit, that's Pixar. Um. <laughs> but. For number 10, and I think it, I used to watch this all the time as a kid, and to be honest, like, I could probably still watch it nonstop now, is The uh, the Emperor's New Groove. Oh, nice. nice. 
I mean, if you want, if you want a fun time, that's the one to go to. Yes. I, I, I had that on DVD for my kids when they were younger and I remember them watching it. That is a fun movie. Is that, is it David Spade? Is it David Spade? Yeah. Who has the voice? David Spade and John yeah. Goodman. John Goodman is the, yes. the, the bigger peasant. Cause it takes place as kind of like this, like, uh, you know, it's with Sherpas and with the, is he the Dalai Lama who becomes a real Lama? Right. And so you yeah. have that whole kind of that, that lost mystical world. And it was funny because this was a point when Disney uh, and DreamWorks were sort of neck and neck. They were always coming out with movies that like copied each other. And you would think that, okay, yeah. a movie dealing with this sort of mystical Shangri-La world couldn't possibly have a duplicate, but they had the road to El Dorado the same year that, that uh, DreamWorks did. And I think this is the better of the two movies. Uh, and one of the things that's really cool about this, Dave, you might might remember this. At the time this movie came out, this is right in the middle of that. Disney wasn't quite on top animation-wise. They were right. trying to find a handle, and they were, I, to give them credit, they were trying a lot of different things. But we were, I think they had kind of like just run out of big, ambitious, you know, it's going to be a hit with Oscar-winning mm-hmm. songs musical animations and so the fun thing about emperor's new groove i think it comes right in the middle of this period and it just it's just a fun cartoon movie it's a you know cartoons yeah. not the wrong yeah. word you don't have to say animated this movie isn't trying to be deep it's fun it's got slapstick it could be a chuck jones sort of animated feature yep. i think it's also very self-aware <laughs> yes uh but it doesn't over it doesn't overstep it's it's boundaries it doesn't try to be too smug you know sometimes self-awareness becomes smugness kind of easy in an animated feature yeah i agree very cool great choice dave how about your number 10 all right my number 10 um and this is going to be well not really a cheat but this is a short and this came on this was on the walt disney short films collection i have that on blu-ray And this is the one that impressed me the most. I might have even mentioned this one to you, Chris, before. It is from 2013. It is called Get a Horse. I don't remember you saying anything about this. Well, it harkens back to the old Mickey Mouse cartoons of the 30s. And what it is, is it combines sort of standard animation with computer graphics. And... The story takes place, you know, Mickey Mouse, um, um, you know, he's he's going down the road in, in this um, uh, horse-drawn wagon, um, and it's a small screen, you know, it's sort of like the old screen that you get on, in an old movie. Um, they pick up a few more passengers, Clarabelle Cow's there, Minnie Mouse is there, and as they make their way down the road, you know, uh, uh, Peg Leg Pete pulls up behind them in a mo- motor car and starts blasting his horns and get out of the way. But then what happens, it becomes very meta because then people start jumping off the screen and jumping back into the screen. And it goes from black and white to color as they're off the screen. You know, it's like they're jumping out into a movie theater. You know, and it, it's it's a very cool movie. And because of the way they put it together, Walt Disney himself from archival recordings provides the voice of Mickey Mouse. Wow. It is a very, very cool short film. It's the best one. And there are some really good ones on that Walt Disney short films collection. They have Paper Man on there. Um, they have one about the Loch Ness Monster. 
Yes. That, that that's really pretty Billy cool. Connolly does the, the Billy Connolly. Yes. Billy Connolly does the narration for that one. So it has some really good short films. This one's my favorite because it gives you the old Disney and it, and it sort of takes it into this. Um, uh, like I said, this sort of meta world where they know it's a, it's a movie and, and the black and white jumps off, becomes color, then jumps back into the screen, and people are chasing each other around in in like um, in uh, in reality and in the movie. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was really cool. Dave, I've never seen this, and I think I feel like I've seen that DVD you're talking about. And I don't remember this at all. Definitely check it out. I think I think you'd be really, um, really. I think you'd be fascinated by it. I just saw stills of it, and it looks amazing. And I'm astonished that it's not a ride at Disney. <laughs> it seems yeah, like it would be yeah, the perfect and, and, thing. And a really, I didn't realize at first that it Walt Disney himself provided the voice of Mickey Mouse. I mean, what, oh, what was wow. this? How, how many years after Walt Disney's death? Yeah, twenty. He's providing the voice like... of Mickey Mouse. Um, in in a, in a short film, so yeah, definitely worth uh, definitely worth seeking out if you can. I'm sure that's on Disney Plus. I'm gonna honestly go and watch that right after we finish nice. here because I'm right. I'm astounded and I didn't expect honestly I, I I didn't expect to hear anything I hadn't seen here tonight. But there's one. So, <laughs> um, well, sticking with the kind of you know cartoons and the short the, the short films, my number ten movie. Uh, is actually a film that was released as a feature, but it was really made up of short films. And it's The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad from 1949. And I love this movie. Uh, This beat out a lot of big classic Disney movies that people would probably take umbrage with me about. But the truth of it is, the way these two stories are told... Now, I, I don't know the thinking behind how these two were packaged together because it is a little odd. You have this kind of story about this sort of like, you know, it makes no sense. No, it makes no. no sense. The packaging of these two stories together. The only sense <laughs> it makes is that the wind in the willows and the legend of sleepy hollow are two great folksy pieces of literature. Yes. Like that is it. <laughs> that, and, that's it. I mean, but that's it. Yeah. But the two, but I, one thing, one thing is, that is really cool is the juxtaposition of the two ends up being really kind of neat because uh, I think that a lot of people, when they think of this, they probably think of the Ichabod Crane story, the the Sleepy Hollow, because Disney basically makes a straight up horror story. I mean, I know people that are certain that Ichabod Crane was killed by the Headless Horseman at the end of this. I'll tell you what, this that scared the hell out of me as a kid. (laughs) It scared the hell out of me that that's that Ichabod. When the headless horseman rolls up, it is so terrifying. And the way they do this is they put the first one, but you've got, you know, Thaddeus Toad, who's a sort of devil may care, uh, kind of a hedonistic character that just kind of does what he wants and is, you know, throws all his cares to the wind and leaves all of his, uh, you know, all of the issues up to his buddies, Mole and Rat and Badger, who, you know, are, are there trying to just pull him, pull him out of the mire every single time. These sort of steadfast friends. And I love this one too. You know, some people think that maybe it's the throwaway, but I love the animation on it. I, and a lot of these characters, you see them show up later. Disney kind of in the seventies would recycle a lot of his characters. Some of these characters show up in the great mouse detective, you know, uh, or the animation and nice. the design do at least. Uh, but I love the kind of whimsy of the Ichabod, I mean, of the Mr. Toad segment. And it captures that feel I had reading the wind of the willows as a kid. And it, 
it's a sort of a very magical, very cool world with these anthropomorphic characters and the way they talk to each other. Here's what I appreciate about this uh, and these earlier Disney films. There's not a need to sort of dumb it down for kids. You know, you've got the, like, like, I don't think most people would, would think a kid's going to necessarily be interested in a story about a, this sort of uh, uh, financially taxed toad that's doing what he wants, you know, and, oh, he's not going to be able to keep the things he has. And, I mean, does this story actually matter to a kid who's watching it? No, but these talking animals and the way they interact with each other and we see the bonds of their friendship and stuff, I think it works. But then you turn around and you give them that scary-ass Ichabod Crane story, which ends the whole thing on this note. This is a straight horror story, okay? So, yeah. But I love it. it. To me, it's like it captures everything you want animation to be able to do. And you kind of is giving kids, and it's making something for kids and adults without trying to figure out what the equation is. How much is for kids and yeah. how much is for adults? I love every minute of it, even though it's a little, I, I it's a little disparate. <laughs> and and you wouldn't you wouldn't think there'd be a horror movie narrated by Bing Crosby. No, and and with songs that work. I mean, I I think <laughs> these songs are that work right. Beautiful. I mean, the animation on both of these is great. And I you know again, the Mister Toad segment is really strong too. It's 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 got some moments. So it's not horror, but you have some moments where you don't think Mister Toad's going to come out of this too well. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like early Disney was pretty dark. Yeah, they, they could, could be. be. It's funny because I was reading a book about Italian horror films <laughs> yes. and in the earliest days before it, before they started making horror films in Italy, Disney movies were their horror films. <laughs> really? Yeah. Pinocchio yeah. and all those other movies that in Italy, that was their horror films. Well, you know, Snow White <laughs> did scare me as a kid. Like oh, yeah. in the end with the apple and she's running away and the thunder and yep. Oh yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty of horror there. How about your number nine, uh, Chris? Uh, number nine. Uh, I chose one that's kind of more, I guess, science fictiony. Uh, I chose Atlantis: The Lo- The Last Empire. Cool. Oh, yeah. I took my kids to see this one. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like a lot of people don't like it <laughs> i liked it but yeah i like it's it from, it's um, from that period of like we're talking about that period of disney where they weren't quite at the top but yeah this one's in, this one was this one was a lot of fun yeah it's about a guy named milo who's a linguist um and he joins this sort of like explorers they almost seem like mercenaries to me yes um <laughs> but then you know obviously they find this this atlantis and you know, shit goes down. Um, but yeah, like I was when I was reading um, some of the reviews and stuff on it, apparently the issue with it was that it was competing with movies like Shrek, which, yeah, it was, yes, it was 2001, yep. summer 2001. Yep. Yeah. So obviously, you know, it was, it was shattered by that, but still, I think it's a and Monsters movie. Inc. came out in 2001. Oh, yeah. Also. That's a good one, yeah. too. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, there were a lot of animated films and sci-fi films kind of competing in the summer of 2001, and they were all coming out at the same time. So, like, Atlantis is out the same time as Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. It's the same time as AI, as Jurassic Park 3, you know? They're just all bunched yeah. up on top of each other, and 
that movie didn't have a uh, time to breathe. One of the things that's beautiful about that movie, though, is that the animation style really feels like a sort of pulpy comic book. Because uh, Mike Mignola, who did who uh, did Hellboy, does the designs for the characters. And uh, that's got a heck of a voice cast, too. James Garner and Michael J. Fox and uh, yeah. just a big cast of people in it. And it's a lot of fun. It's just a fun, pulpy adventure story. And it, it has that feel of something that would have been like uh, th- that, you know, had it been made in the 50s or 60s, it would have been a uh, it, it would have been like a Harryhausen movie. Right, Dave? Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> Chris, last time when we were talking, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but the ca- Castle in the Sky. There's yes. a lot of castle. There's some castle, in the, some serious Castle in the Sky vibes at the end of Atlantis. I feel like with the stone, the stone guardians oh, you know and all what? of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember watching that. Be like, oh, they took some Miyazaki. I don't, I don't think ripoff, but I think definitely you know, some homage happening there. An homage, An inspiration. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, inspiration. Um, number nine for you, Dave. Okay, number nine for me. We're going way back into Disney's past. A movie that has a few problems with it. There's no doubt about it. It's Dumbo. Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, 1941. And I will be honest with you here. The first time I saw, I hadn't seen the movie, but the first images I saw of Dumbo, and Chris, you're not going to, I don't think you've seen this, but Nathan, you're probably going to understand this. The reason I ended up seeing Dumbo was Steven Spielberg's 1941. <laughs> nice. You the scenes in the theater yeah. with Robert Stack as the general sitting there watching Dumbo. That's right. <laughs> on the big screen. That led me to Dumbo. And you wouldn't think in this movie, I just barely an hour. I think it's like a couple minutes over an hour long. Yeah. It's like one of the shortest, I think, of all Disney's animated films. But I do love it. I think it has sort of a, and yes, the, the crows are problematic, especially looking, you know, through a modern lens at, at the crows in Dumbo. Um, Even the setup scene uh, as the guys are coming in and putting down the, uh, you know, right there, Casey Jr. shows up and you have the workers who are setting up the circus tents and everything. It's like, I was surprised watching it again. I'm like, wow, I forgot about a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I ended up really liking Dumbo again, because and and I know a lot of people crap all over Steven Spielberg's 1941. Me, my brother and my father, we laughed our asses off watching 1941. I will always defend that movie. I think it's a very funny movie. Yes, it's loud. Yes, it's abrasive. Yes, it it goes way over the top. But I had a lot of fun watching 1941. And Dumbo, and that, it brought me to Dumbo. And I did end up really enjoying Dumbo as well. You know, 1941 is one of those movies that didn't have the benefit of the internet. And everybody no. realizing and, that you know what? Yeah. Wait, we actually like this movie. We don't have to. We don't have to listen to the four or five critics that were disappointed. Yeah, they so, made this so, Jaws. I mean, it almost. Let's be honest. It almost ruined Spielberg's career. Oh yeah, I mean, how it, it, hard is that to believe <laughs> that the guy who made Jaws and Close Encounters of, of the Third Kind almost lost his career over 1941 and then obviously saved it with Raiders of the Lost Ark in 81. It's a funny movie though. It's, I mean, you're, it, there it's are... funny. It's got John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd. The scenes with Warren Oates are Slim seriously funny. When they're trying Slim to Pickens. interrogate Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens and he drops that. Slim like, Pickens the is toilet. the best. 
absolutely. That scene in this one with with Slim Pickens as Hollis Wood. Yes. <laughs> and when it gets captured and brought on the Japanese submarine, the best line, I think one of the great lines ever in a movie is, you ain't getting shit out of me while he's sitting on a toilet. And he drops the boot in there. And then the be- and then the yes. follow-up line is when the Japanese like general or whatever walks in and says, this has not been honorable. This has not been honorable. <laughs> Toshiro, Toshiro Mifune. Yes, yes. From, freaking, so from, 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 from Kurosawa, from the Seven Samurai, yes, for God's look at that Spielberg. And Christopher Lee plays the Nazi officer. Now I have two movies I have to watch after this podcast is done. Uh, I lo- Yeah, I like this movie. My dad always liked this movie. But you know those like buy eight movies for a cent or whatever, those movie clubs yeah. back in the day, you get the VHSs. <laughs> that was the first one. My dad like subscribed to that just so he could not not Raiders, not any of those other movies, so he could have 1941 on VHS. <laughs> and because uh, he, in his mind, it was 1941, and 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 uh, Doctor Strange Love are sort of on the same, the same like yeah. uh, wavelength. That's, it really is, yeah. yeah. And but but anyway, it was 1941 that introduced me to Dumbo, and I think Dumbo is a. I think Dumbo is one of the better of the classic. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, uh, Disney movies as well. It's sad, but it's it works. It's sad. It still yes. works. My um, it, yeah, absolutely. My wife's favorite like song is the Baby Mind song with the with the between Dumbo and his mother when they have to put her in another kind of cage and he's there. Now, personally, I like the Pink Elephants when they get drunk and see the Pink yes, Elephants on parade. That, that, that is trippy. That's, that's an awesome scene. Yes, definitely. And we talk about the images of flight in the Miyazaki movies. When you see Dumbo fly, I mean, like, again, in the 40s, <laughs> like, that's a big deal that we're seeing this yeah. happen and the, in, in animation. Um, yeah, I love Dumbo. And it was in my runners up. So cool. uh, my number nine is a newer is actually a newer uh, movie. And it is in that same time frame of throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. This one to me stuck. This is Lilo and Stitch. From 2002. Oh, nice. And cool. I love this movie. I mean, this to me was Disney trying to do something completely against the grain. And it's such a weird idea, right? That you've got this little space monster that comes down and lands with this family in Hawaii. And you've got this little girl, Lilo, who takes him in. And it's it's kind of subversive. It doesn't feel like any other kind of Disney movie. Uh, he kind of swears a little bit. He's, you know, he's, he, he blows things up. He's kind of the Iron Giant, except he's only a foot and a half tall, you know. And, uh, and in fact, the Iron Giant's probably a good kind of touch point because there's a lot of the similarities. He's a little creature from space, but he's not cute like E.T. exactly. And you have all the characters who then come back, the intergalactic like police to come to get him, almost like critters, right? They have to come back and retrieve him. And But the, the family story that, that exists there with the family uh with lilo's family again the representation here this is when disney's first kind of like let's let's give you a movie where not everybody looks like you know white anglo-saxons and i it's the tone and it's the the energy in the film and the fact that it doesn't feel like any other disney movie really that i can think of that really uh make this one work for me I, i i this is one maybe more than some of the other and even some of the classic ones that I can go back to again and again. And I think the animation on it is exactly, it's exactly the way I want it to look. You know, it, it, it has a sort of, uh, you know, it's got a fun kind of, you know, the rounded edges are there. This isn't quite that, that angular comic book look of Atlantis, but it's also not quite 
the homogenized look of some of the Disney animations at the time. It's got its own sort of feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it, it they turned it into a series. Oh, did they? When my kids were younger. They 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 had this series and uh, that was pretty good too. I, I loved that as a kid watching it on TV. Yeah. Oh, it makes me cry. Ohana means family. Well, except the part that makes me cry, Chris, is when you're saying you watched it as a little kid. Because <laughs> I definitely oh. saw that movie after college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was, Your I kids was were watching older. it, right? My, yeah. my, my kids were in grade school, I think. At, at the, this was 2002. Yes. Was, uh, yeah. And Elvis songs. It has Elvis songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah 2002. Yeah. Lots of Elvis seven. songs. Wow. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right so seven but what was your number eight <laughs> tell me that chris um, um number eight uh i have the nightmare before christmas nice Ooh, yes. yeah awesome. so that's about this guy named jack skellington who is a skeleton um <laughs> and he lives he's like the king of halloween town um but then he you know along his journeys he's like sad and he, he's looking for something more he keeps winning, you know, king of Halloween Town. Um, but then he discovers, uh, like, this door that leads to another place that's Christmas Town. And then he falls in love with it. He, he falls in love with the idea of Christmas. And he attempts to bring that Christmas feeling back to Halloween Town, which just causes havoc. <laughs> <laughs> oh, th- this is a masterpiece. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. This is an yes. absolute masterpiece. This is like Tim Burton. And um, I love Henry the Selleck music is a director, in this. Yeah, yeah I, 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 lo- I, think, I think he's a great... I, I like a lot of his movies. Yeah. Um, I think of my like my all-time favorites, um, Ed Wood and Sleepy Hollow are right up there. I love both of those films. Um, and Nightmare uh, Before Christmas is just amazing. And it's great because it's one you can watch at Halloween and at Christmas. Yeah. And it's stop motion. It is. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful stop motion. I will say more about this later. <laughs> but um, Oh. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, Dave, you're number eight. All right. Well, my number eight, again, we're staying in the past. And we're staying with the movie that put Walt Disney Animation on the map. 1937's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Nice. Now, this is a movie. Now, I've um, okay. Adolf Hitler was one of his favorite movies. I'm not going to play too. I'm not going to put too much into that. But Sergei Eisenstein, the uh, the father of montage of film editing, called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs the greatest film ever made when he saw it. This is the movie that basically started animation as feature length. Yep. You know, this was, this was Disney's project. He saw um, a silent version of a silent short or something of snow white when he was a kid at 15 years old and got the idea to turn it into an animated film. And I really, you know, this is, it's, I don't know. I, there's something about the history of it, but then the movie itself, I think, is just really kind of cool. You know, you, you got the great music in it. Um, you got the the um, uh, Maleficent. I mean, this is the one I think that, that isn't uh, the, the Maleficent is. 
Maleficent is a different movie. Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, not Maleficent. This is the evil queen. There's still a scary-ass queen in this movie. Oh, it's a scary-ass queen. No doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, So, yeah, this is the one for me. That that was my number eight is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I have it on DVD. Now, I saw on a review, so it's been released on Blu-ray. Yes. But that when it's on Blu-ray, you can kind of see the process of the animation in it. You know, sometimes the high, you know, the high def can be detrimental to a movie. And I don't know that that Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is something that needs to get into high def, especially from the time period in which it was made. Um, so I'm happy with my two disc uh, special edition Blu-ray that I got, you know, many years oh, ago. Oh, Blu-ray or DVD? Oh, no, DVD. I'm sorry. DVD. I got a two disc DVD. I never did get the Blu-ray. Just because I saw people saying you can actually see the like almost like the hand drawn animation process something in the Blu-ray. Some you know sometimes high def it just wasn't meant for certain movies, and I don't think Snow White's one of them. Uh, or I think Snow White's probably one of them that wasn't meant for. Um, but um, yeah, I really it just historically speaking, I think um, the you know it, it really is what put Disney on the map. Yeah, I can't argue with that at all because my number eight is also Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, wow. Whoa. <laughs> and I got to say, too, I don't know, Dave, because now I say this and maybe you'll change your mind. I have this in Blu-ray and I think it looks really? amazing in Blu-ray. Oh, uh, wow. Now, and it, now, now I'm interested. But, okay. now, and the, but the, the, the thing that's been said, if it's what I'm thinking of, I don't necessarily find that too much of a problem because yes there is a sense where you can if you're saying the the animation process it's not that you can necessarily see like the cells over each other but it does have that kind of like you can almost see the lines of them as sketches but to me that's almost appealing like i i kind of like Hmm. that particularly in the older movies where it looked this is you know it's so good and then you realize you remember every once in a while it's the same way you're seeing the fingerprints on a harryhausen um in my opinion where it reminds you every once in a while that this was a thing a person made like if I see the like the errant line of a sketch or something like I so I it never looked weird. I would have never thought anything but that it looks beautiful and pristine and uh, in a sense of, and, and so clear. And I think that's what's really cool about it. You know, uh, they, well, I'm interested now. Yeah, I'm definitely interested now. I've had this DVD probably for yeah. damn near 19 years. <laughs> I I often don't. I'm often kind of like that's like why do I. Well, do we really need 4K for an old style animation? But sometimes, particularly the Disney ones, like I would say this one, Lady and the Tramp, the clean, like the clean look it gets and how vibrant it looks and the colors popping. And again, being able to see this is a drawing. You can see this is a drawing that somebody made, but it doesn't look it doesn't look uh, unfinished or strange. It just it. To me, it amplifies it. I think this is a wonderful Blu-ray. It's one of the top, I would say, the Disney Blu-rays, uh, Sleeping Beauty being another one. Um, but this film, there's just something about it. One of the things that I love about this era of Disney, Dave, and see if you agree with me, is that they, 
we hear all the time, oh, you need to make these movies darker. This needs to be darker. These Disney movies, they were plenty dark, but they also they, they also oh, yeah. knew when to balance it with humor and to make some of these stories were darker. I mean, Disney, even as dark as these are, they're Disney still accused of sanitizing them from the original texts. Uh, even a <laughs> yes, it's funny. Even a story yeah. like Peter Pan is a lot less sinister and a lot less weird than it was and yet that's the right tone these the magic of these films is that they are for kids and for anyone who's kind of a child at heart you know when you go to yes. disney world and get to ride these rides the peter pan ride to me is old as it is there's a giant line waiting for this thing and i'm like what is this? this is an avatar why are we waiting to get into a peter pan ride that was released in the 50s and then when i rode this thing it was honestly to goodness it was one of the most amazing things because as you rise that's up cool. over the london skyline you it's all built it's just built it's right there but you're hovering over the london skyline no cgi no uh the, the characters barely move but it's just transporting and that's this movie there's no flashy gimmicks there's nothing extraordinarily uh, sophisticated except in the anime in the actual drawing how beautiful the animation looks but the dwarves the whole high ho scene and the way it's orchestrated it takes you right into this fairy tale it puts you there and you're in it and you're not sitting there thinking about this just being a story for kids while it's running right. that scene when the witch is running up that mountain and the lightning at the end i mean you're not thinking a lot a lot except hey that's a scary witch yeah right. <laughs> it's a like i said earlier like that's the movie that scared me as a kid yeah it is and it was meant to i mean you being silly not to be scared <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's Very my cool. number eight uh how about your number seven christian um number seven so the funny thing is, like, how we were saying, like, the age and all. I like how y'all are choosing the older ones, and I just, I'm keep going with the newer ones. Um, I have Zootopia. Oh, it's a good one. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's about uh, a rabbit called Judy Hopps who lives in this sort of, like, farmland. Um, but she goes off to the big city to uh, become a cop. Um, and then while she's there, she meets... Uh, a fox, I think his name was Nick, right? Nick yes. Wilde. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he is kind of like a, a down low criminal. And, He's a con artist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he gets her in a whole bunch of trouble. And, and you know, it's, it's about like, um, was it like predators versus prey? Um, I don't know. And it was just, I think like CGI, you know, 3D, just really amazing, and and dealt with a lot of like social political issues too. Mm -hmm. I, I I like this one as uh, a lot as well, and I you know what, the scenes with the sloths, I still <laughs> crack up. Yeah, every time I watch that with the sloths, I still think that's absolutely hilarious. And they, and they work at the DMV. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love too that at one point they miss. Yes, the DMV thing was great. And he's just like his hand is slowly going there. I love too that they're looking for the missing otter is Emmett the Otter. This makes me think of yes, Emmett, Emmett Otter's otter, judge. Right. You I'm a sucker for any movie that takes this kind of like, you know, because it's a Disney movie. Of course it is talking animals. But when you build this complex world with all of these details in such a way that it's almost overwhelming. That's what they do with Zootopia. I mean, you think they could have stopped right here and had a perfectly fine, funny little cartoon movie. That's not what they do with this one. This goes deep, no. uh, the, you know, yeah. socially with, with with all of the the, um, the racial elements that are going on and the societal elements. I mean, this is blended 
uh, expertly. Like it is a, it, it didn't it quite is. make the list, but it was right there in the runners up. It's a, it's a fantastically done movie. It's got great characterizations. It's another one. We talk about movies. You can get a little bit more from each time you watch it, but on the surface, it's still a fun adventure. Almost. It's almost a, it's almost a, like a whodunit, you know, you've got a little bit of like a yeah. Chinatown or something going on in this yeah. movie. And I, I love Zootopia. And I and love you've the got fact, the mafia. Yes. The yes you have mafia. The mafia. Yeah. And I love the fact that there are different eras of Zootopia, you know, where, yes. where, where, where Judy, the, the, the rabbit is in some of them, she's like tiny and she's going to be stepped on. And in other ones, she's like the King Kong. <laughs> yes. Of, yes. Of that specific neighborhood. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, just an enormous amount of uh, creativity right from the get-go, and it never lets up. It doesn't let up for the whole the whole thing. Awesome. Dave, you're number seven. All right. Well, my number seven, it gives us our first bit of cross. Well, no, you we had Snow White last time, but my number seven is The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Yes. <laughs> and again, and I'm with you. I think the Mr. Toad, st- Mr. Toad story is very interesting, but it's always been about Ichabod for me. That sequence with the Headless Horseman, it is straight up horror. I mean, this is what introduced a lot of people. And yes. this was, came out in 1949 to horror with what happens to Ichabod. And for me, when I think of as much as I love um, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, and I do, I think it's a great movie. It's that sequence with Ichabod and the headless horseman that I always go back to with that, with that original story, you know, and, and it was, again, as a kid, it just, absolutely terrified me so i'm not going to say any more about it we've already talked about it but that is my number seven the adventures of ichabod and mr two yeah he's scarier in this one than than sleepy hollow <laughs> somehow yeah. somehow well i don't i don't know christopher walken's character was pretty damn creepy well that's true when he but, shows up but without the head without the head you know <laughs> without the head yes you're right uh, yes absolutely oh uh, well my number seven is the little mermaid which is, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and Chris, you would, wouldn't have this experience, but, you know, for those of us who did, who, who grew up with these movies watching, you know, the Ichabod and Mr. Toad, and it's, I think, Dave, you'll agree, uh, not to even make my list because Disney has so many great movies, but I'll be honest, when I was going through this, the, the, what was considered the sort of downtime of Disney, the 70s and early 80s, you know, uh, mm-hmm. really this movie that I'm talking about, Little Mermaid, is where, things turn you know disney it being, turned it around yeah yes it, it was the one that launched the new golden age yeah of this i love whether i should or not i love a lot of those movies that came in that before period i love the black culture and i love uh sure. uh and i'm not gonna name too many of them in case they show up later but you know the, the robin hoods and things like that they were not at the height of great disney of the classic disney they were the interim period but there's a lot of them there that i love but this is where disney takes those pieces remembers the roots remembers some of what was trying to be done in the 70s and then combines it all goes back to the template of let's tell a fairy tale story and does it in a wonderful way with beautiful animation uh and great songs and some great characters uh they get the love story this does start that you know we get that kind of uh 
unfortunate, you know, here's a princess who needs to have a prince kind of storyline again. Mm -hmm. But this is a pretty well-rounded movie, I think. It gives us one, you get back to the great villains too with Ursula, which is a a little bit different than the the evil witches we've had before. She's a little more gregarious. She's a little bit more... uh, everything about her it's just it's like uh if, if orson wells were playing the evil queen you know it's sort of there's <laughs> there's just a there's a grandioseness to that that's very cool but to sebastian the crab this is where you kind of the sidekick becomes a very um kind of linchpin character in the disney thing because mm-hmm. how good but but sebastian because he's sort of the one of the earliest out of the gate that, that works in this way he's he elevates that sidekick sort of status, you know. Uh, there's yeah. something about him and those songs, uh, the, the Under the Sea song, and even the even his kind of where he's running and being chased by the cook. Like, everything in this movie, uh, it, strangely enough, it's not my favorite of the newer uh, era of Disney, but it's, pre- it's pretty high up there. And it, I think it's, uh, it just takes the formula and it imbues it with something a little new, a little bit more modern, and in some ways it makes it a little bit better. Hmm. I agree. Also, I, agree. I think Ursula was inspired by a drag queen, right? Divine? Was, yeah. Was Ursula inspired by Divine? I'm looking it up right now. It makes sense as you're saying it. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> the the fact that the fact that a Disney movie took something from John Waters, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Ursula's appearance was largely inspired by America, American actor and drag queen Divine from Baltimore, woohoo, who was best known for his frequent, yeah. frequent appearances with John Mott. For, for, for Pink Flamingos. Thank God they didn't take too much more <laughs> oh, from Pink Flamingos. No, but I totally see it now. Yes. Right? <laughs> wow. Um, and yeah, the, so good, though. It, yeah, that explains explains a lot. And one of my favorite Disney villains, <laughs> I feel like right I just there. Blew your mind. <laughs> you did, you did. Honestly, I didn't know that. Did you? I, not at all. Dave, Dave knows everything, and he didn't know that either. So. I, you know what? I, I I think I'd heard it years ago. I had forgotten about it. But I, yes, you know what? Thinking about, it, you're absolutely right. That is exactly where that comes from. I like it even more now. And, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so uh, then, Kristen, that's back to you. Number six. Number six. Uh, I put down Tangled. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Um, so Tangled is basically a reimagined version of Rapunzel, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where she's you know locked in the tower, and Mother Gothel, who's like her evil stepmother, keeps her there, and um. What's oh shoot? What was the guy's name? Ryder. Um, he comes, so, yeah. you know, uh, looking for uh, a particular item, um, and she has it. And they make a deal that she wants to see the lanterns that are in this far off land, um, and he has to take her there. And then you know they go on this whole adventure. Um, I don't. Know, I, I I thought it was really funny and quirky. Um, and I think it's like I know sometimes when companies like Disney, when they like reimagine like an old classic, sometimes they stray too far. But I think they did a good job with this one. Nice. Yeah, I agree. It's I, like a modern Rapunzel. Right. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, cool. 
and uh, yeah, uh, Z- yeah, Zachary Levi was Flynn Rider, <laughs> and uh, and Ron Perlman shows up too. Is he like he's the Stabbington brothers or something like that? Like the two <laughs> the, the the two henchmen. Um, yeah, this is a lot of fun. I remember seeing this in the theater with my wife before my kids were born. And the one thing I do kind of it stands out to me is that uh, the 3D. This was when 3D movies were kind of like really in vogue because because uh, avatar had just come out the year before so everybody was trying to do 3d and that seemed with the lanterns when they they let all the lanterns go oh, yeah. that looked very impressive in 3d i distinctly remember that very cool so dave you're number six my number six is one that it's going to be a very personal choice for me because it is the first original disney animated film i saw on the big screen now, when I was younger, I remember you know, Disney used to re-release their classics to the theater. Yes. And uh, before I saw this movie, I saw, remember seeing Bambi younger, you know, when I was uh-huh. when I was younger. But it was from 1977. It is The Rescuers. Yes. Uh. Is my number six. And it's got, you know, it's it basically... You know, I think Bob Newhart and uh, was it was I can't remember if it was Eva or Jaja Gabor um, who did the voice. I got to look it up now um, as to as to which one did it. Um, but uh, I just remember as a kid sitting in the theater, I must have been seven years old when I was watching The Rescuers. You know, I saw it when it, it was Eva Gabor out. was uh, Eva Miss okay, Bianca. Was Eva. Yes. Okay. Um, I just remember sitting in the theater thinking it was probably the greatest movie I'd ever seen. <laughs> you know, at that time, I was absolutely blown away by it. Um, and I watched it again recently. And yes, this was of the time period you're talking, Nathan. Yeah. That late 70s, early 80s, before things start to turn around for Disney. This was in that time period. But yet, I think this one holds up. You know, it was at least good enough they made a sequel for it. Yeah. You know, The and- Rescuers Down yeah. Under. Um, And I really thought, that, you know, what they did, this young girl, Penny, there, there's a scene with this young girl, Penny, and they sent her down into, you know, to, to I, I don't, I, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, Madame Medusa. Yes. Yeah. Was the evil. Geraldine Page did the voice for Madame Medusa in this one. Um, holds, holds Penny's uh, teddy bear, you know, sort of hostage. Um, until she, until Penny can go down and locate the devil's eye, which is what they're looking for. Um, and I just really enjoyed this movie. I did. I thought it was so much fun as a kid and I watched it again recently and I thought it held up well enough. Yeah, I think so too. And my, actually my, my, uh, whole statement on that deal with the movies from the seventies is I think a lot of people don't have, you know, a lot of people have fond memories of these movies. I think the critics at the time and the general feeling is oh this is not classic disney a uh, part of it was how they were handling the animation if you look at some of these movies yeah if you look at like the jungle book and then at robin hood you realize that they were reusing animated sequences and just sort of mm-hmm. re-illustrating over them now that hardly yeah. matters in the moment particularly if you're a kid and watching a movie and you're into it you know i think that a lot yeah. of these movies hold up very very well there's a couple of them this being one of them that are kind of right there in the, like just outside the top 10 for me. Um, I loved rescuers down under in some ways I might've liked that movie even a little bit better. Uh, but I think they're both very good. They're very good. They're very, uh, they, they hit on that, that classic thing. I love that the rescuers are very small, you know, they're, 
yep. when they come to rescue the child who's much larger than they are you know they have to they have to deal with all of these these larger than life obstacles and that was that was true in the yep. sequel too where george c scott was the villain in uh rescuers down under so they they have this <laughs> thing of these these kind of terrifying they go back to that uh you know that fairy tale thing of, of of these evil adults that seem larger than life but in you know here she's a she's really a thief and he's a poacher you know and so right. they, they, they're rather mundane to adults but to kids they're terrifying you know right <laughs> no I, I did i just love this movie that's a good that's a good call that's awesome dave yeah. uh so then my number what are we number six is six. sleeping beauty yes. Uh, which I I love this movie. I think that uh, part of it is the simplicity, I think, of it. And it is also, this one, relatively personal because I saw it at a very young, it was one of the first movies, I think, that I, it was rented for me. We kind of watched again and again. And it had, you know, the thing is, with a lot of the Disney films, they borrow these fantasy elements or they're telling fantasy stories. And uh, when you start as a kid and you're seeing a lot of them, there's sort of a sort of repetition to them. The thing I always struck me about Sleeping Beauty is that it really, it still retains a lot of elements of high fantasy that, that, you know, yeah, my my sisters are like, let's watch the princess movie again. But I appreciated that Sleeping Beauty gives us that terrifying Maleficent. And then she turns into this, one of the greatest dragons I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> you know, I mean, that image mm -hmm. of, of, again, just a 2D animation. That dragon is more impressive than almost any other dragon I've ever seen ever after that. And uh, I'm a big fan of dragons in movies. I love to see, you know, a really well done like dragon. But this one still sort of takes the cake. And the the the, the fairies, the dance numbers, again, uh, Maleficent's even her entourage of like her crow that she has with her and the goblins that, that come and, and, and assist her watching that whole kingdom be taken up in the thorns. All of the fantasy imagery, I really appreciated that as a kid, and I still find it beautiful. There's a there's a sensibility when you're watching it again that it's a weird mix of this really nicely hand drawn animation and almost something that reminds you of like a stained glass window, you know, uh, or old medieval art. And I think that there's a there's something kind of singularly beautiful about it. It doesn't look like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It doesn't quite look like Pinocchio. It has its own sort of beautiful sensibility to it. And and the, the songs, you know, like the I Know You uh, or Once Upon a Dream, there's a certain hauntingness to that, which, which many renditions later <laughs> of that song have sort of tapped into that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I love Sleeping Beauty. Nice. And wasn't this the first one that Disney turned into a live action? Well, I don't know if it was the first one, but it was. I did, thought it might have been. I thought it might have been the first. I know it was before Beauty and the Beast and um, what was it? Uh, uh, Jungle Book and all those other ones. I thought this one was did one Cinderella of the come ones. before it. I don't remember. Oh, the Kenneth Branagh. Uh, and, and technically Cinderella might have been yeah. before. Yeah, Cinderella might have been before. Never mind. Cinderella was the first. Technically yes. speaking, what they made was Maleficent and not Sleeping Beauty. Yes, and you're I right. say it that because it sort of yes. irritated me that they did that. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big fan of that movie. I'm not not necessarily because of some vaunted feeling for Sleeping Beauty, but I mean you're make you take this movie, this concept of this 
queen who's so evil and she's interesting because she's evil. And then you sort of make her misunderstood and the hero, which is fine, but couldn't it could have just be anybody at that point. <laughs> it right, could be anybody. Right. But Sleeping Beauty for me, that's my number six. Nice. Nice. All right. Chris, you're number five. All right. Number five. Uh, so I actually got one in the 90s for you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Going way back, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Lion King. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Love this. This was like my brother and my like favorite movie of all time. We watch this like every day. It's a good one. Awesome. It's a really good one. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, so okay. it's basically, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows it, but it's basically, you know, Simba, who's a lion. Um, uh, he has his father, Mufasa, and his uncle, Scar. And Scar basically is this sort of manipulative, conniving sort of character. Um, and he wants to overthrow Mufasa um, and become king of Pride Rock. Um, and Simba was able to escape his clutches, um, but he was kind of like banished from Pride Rock. So he finds Timon and Simba. They kind of raise him, and then uh, the his girl, like what was the girl's name? Nala. Nala. She yeah. comes back, um, and she's like, "Oh my God, you're alive! You need to come back because everything sucks." And <laughs> yeah, basically the hyenas. Yeah, and then like yeah. they immediately fall in love when they see each other like 10 years later. Um but then yeah, he goes back and then he's like, "Wow, this does suck." And then, you know, gets rid of Scar and becomes the king of Pride Rock again, but it's very uh very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Especially like with Mufasa, like that that part where he's trampled by That's the wildebeest. Oh my! Yeah. Even now, like every time I see that scene, I <laughs> I just bawl my eyes out. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. Well, then they give you know they give you Simba nuzzling his dead broken body. You know, I mean, just oh my think, like it's uh it is hard. And I remember the the funny thing about that is when that movie came out uh, in like '94, I was in the high school and. I saw that it was out and I had no problem going to see animated films, but I just, it wasn't really, wasn't into it in that very moment. And we, it was months after it had been out. I think it was at the, back then my parents were like, we're going to the dollar theater, you know, like the second run theater <laughs> to plays movies months later because they have four kids and it's like, okay, we're going for five bucks. You didn't even have some popcorn. And I think mm -hmm. I didn't want to go see the Lion King. I, the, I want to see Stargate of all things, Dave, <laughs> the, the, like uh, Stargate was playing. <laughs> I did see Stargate later, but, and it had just left like the day before and, and Lion King was still playing from like months ago. Cause it had come out in the summer and I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I remember specifically watching this movie and because I had not paid attention to it, I'm like, it's another Disney movie. It was coming on the heels of Aladdin and, Suddenly it dawns on me, this is, you know, and it's obvious, it's obvious on the the front, but not knowing anything about the movie, you're sitting there and like, wait, this is Hamlet. What is Disney doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Those those hyenas are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. What are, what's going on here? And I mean, it's not that deep. It doesn't quite capture the tragedy of Hamlet. But the fact that Disney even sort of goes there at all, and, but you know what really caught, that songs are great, but what caught me in the theater with this movie was how beautiful the animation on those animals is like that yeah. opening scene. Like when they capture the movements of these real 
jungle animals. It's cool when they're anthropomorphic, but in that opening scene, when they're coming to the presentation of Simba and the circle of life is playing and you have those elephants with the birds hanging off of their tusks as the zebras are sort of cavorting through the water underneath of their legs. I mean, that, I, you know, Jurassic Park had come out a year earlier. And to me, that was just as fascinating looking in this animation. It's one of the greatest animated sequences, I think, of all time that happens in that opening scene with all of those animals flocking to that rock and then you know uh the the baboon lifts him into the air i mean that's that's kind of like chill inducing stuff animation wise (laughs) i feel like even when when nala comes back uh you know like years later and then there there was it what was that one song um can you feel the love tonight yeah, yeah. Even like yeah. the the scenery in that was like magical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. And you're it noticing things was. like uh, when Scar has a big musical number with that. You're like, the hyenas are two stepping. What's it like? <laughs> oh yeah. Forming, uh, yeah, yeah. It's um it's, again a lot of a lot of detail. A really cool and and a, and a break from what it had been doing. You know, it it shook it shook things up just a little bit there. Definitely, Dave. How about Ooh. your number five? My number five, as far as the feature films we're talking about, this is going to be the most recent, 2012's Wreck-It Ralph. I thought this one, you know, when you think of Toy Story, the Pixar's Toy Story, what that did for toys, Wreck-It Ralph did for video games. It created a world around video games that I grew up with. Yep. Like, was it Qbert? Mm-hmm. I know it was a character in this one. And just the whole idea of going to the arcade. But then, then, then it creates a story behind that with Wreck-It Ralph. And he's, he's, he ends up, um, you know, with, uh, with this little girl. I know Sarah Silverman. I did, did the voice for her. Penelope. Was it Penelope? Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's Penelope, in like a yeah. racing game, like a Mario Kart And style. a racing yeah. game, yes. And it's this little world that they create within video games, within an arcade. And, and the fact that Ralph is not happy, he's basically, uh, he's basically Donkey Kong. Yes, he is. Yeah. In his name, I'm going to wreck it. <laughs> and he feels unfulfilled. Yeah. So he wants he goes into all of these other games. And I thought this was so creative, so inventive. Um, great voice work by John C. Riley genius, and Sarah genius casting there with John C. Yeah, yeah, it really, really was. And I just thought this was a blast. I really did. I loved how it just, and how it, how it pulled in the video games that I sort of fell in love with as a kid. I mean, I, I used to love Cubert. I played that game all the time. And here he is as a character in this movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I love this movie. Um, and I liked the sequel as well. Not as much as this one, though. I think this one is is just. I think it's awesome. It is really good, and it and it it didn't just coast on that nostalgia thing that you're talking about. Like, here's this character you remember. Yeah, that's cool. We see Cuber, but then they build these things into a story, and even the side characters are fun. Like Jane Lynch is this military woman in a video yes. game. It's almost <laughs> like Space that. Invaders. Yeah, and that <laughs> whole thing is great. She's you know, and then there's these monsters that are almost like Starship Troopers bugs. You know are sort of the the villains in the story but it, it's good it's a good one uh number number five for me is the newest one on the list uh for me which is moana which is same year as zootopia i believe uh yes, and so it was. 20, 2016 yep. right and yep. they were both up for best uh, animated film the same year yeah i think 
this movie, uh, I think Moana is honestly one of Disney's best movies. I think, too, given that it's the newest, give it a little more time. I could see it making its way even further up this list. I... One thing I just love about it, simply put, is it's a great adventure story. The representation aspect is really cool, too, because we really delve into this mythology that I don't think a lot of people are aware of and know much about. And the way it builds that mythology into this very colorful world with these colorful characters, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson as Maui, he's really he's, you know, even when he sings, he's he's got the character down. He's really like into it. Yeah. And I think the songs in this are amazing. Like they are well written. They build into the story. They're catchy. There's something you can listen to again. It doesn't want make you jump off a cliff like after the 50th <laughs> time I hear Let It Go does. Uh, this is me personally. Although <laughs> animation is so wonderful, the, the even the waves of the ocean. But there's big action scenes in this, you know, when they, when they come up against the uh the the kakamura these little coconut monsters that have it almost becomes <laughs> like a like a mad max sequence and they venture into the realm of monsters where jermaine clement is this giant crab that sings this this uh ridiculous song that sounds like it came out of flight of the concords you know and it's just one more thing and one more thing and the the entire fantasy story and the way it is handled and uh all of it though ends up in orbit around this character of moana this this woman who's trying to find herself, but at the same time, she is truly, you know, she's not the rebellious. I just want my own life. You know, she's trying to do this for her people. She's trying to honor the, 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 the traditions and the world she comes from, even though those around her may not see that initially. I think this is top notch. I was blown away by it when I saw it. I, my kids probably watch this like once a month and I watch it with them. So, I mean, I <laughs> think Moana is is great it you know uh these next these top five are pretty much almost neck and neck for me honestly and this uh to be this high and only be you know a few years in i think this is disney took a real chance it's strange though because when we went to disney world i almost saw moana nowhere you know that you know it seems like it'll be ripe for rides and all these things and yet um i'd, I'd love to see a sequel to this honestly speaking i'd love to see a second Very moana cool. movie i think moana's underappreciated yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a hit, and people did recognize it. But I agree. I to me, Moana deserves the frozen love. But that that's me. Yeah, right. and a cool thing about Moana because I actually did a little small project on it for uh, my school. Um, they actually had to create a whole new software called Splash. Yes, for the water because it was so difficult to animate with the previous software. They had to revamp the entire software just so you can get that fluidity. And they also use Splash for the hair, to animate the hair to make it so fluid. Yeah, hair, water, and fur are a pain in the, you know, and it oh. looks it looks so good in this. And then the when the water, the when the waves are sentient and they grab her and they kind of throw her back up on the boat and again and again, yeah. and it just looks so realistic. Especially like when her when her hair is wet yes. and then she like whips around and it like whips her in the face. Yeah. <laughs> like you can feel the weight in it. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Everything about. Yes. No, I love that kind of stuff. And I love to see like and and now they're at a point I was watching um, Encanto is slowly growing on me. I liked it when I saw it, but my kids keep watching it. And uh, it's funny because none of us were like blown away, I think, initially. But now they're yeah. like, they keep putting it back on and back on. And, and Encanto, in a lot of ways, is like, you know, it resembles Moana, 
quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but it's like in insular. You know, I would think I was expecting an, an epic journey like Moana, and I realized, oh no, this is about dealing with your your unsatisfied family. <laughs> they can't get, they just can't realize that you're not gonna. That's actually my uh, number four. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, so that's the newest Disney movie that just came out. Um, and that's about this family called the Madrigals who are gifted with powers, um, except for Mary Bell, who is the main character. And uh, she kind of goes on this journey, t- uh, not so much to figure out why, but the, the house, which is called La Casa, is uh, in danger. And it seems like people are starting to lose their powers. And she kind of has to go on this journey to figure out why and, and how to solve it. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like I said, me and Nathan, we were just talking about, I, it really spoke to me, um, especially, and I know it's, a set in Colombia, so I know it really reached out to a lot of, like, first generation immigrants, um, dealing with, like, the family pressures and, uh, social pressures and, you know, issues like that, um. And it just, you know, of course it's magical, but I feel like it wasn't too gimmicky. Um, I feel like it was, it dealt with these sort of powers in a more modern and realistic way. And I don't know, I just, I really, really liked it. Nice. You saw this in the theater. Were you the only one in the theater? I was literally the only person in the theater. (laughs) Did you dance during the numbers, musical numbers, since you could? (laughs) (laughs) I should have. Yeah. I got to tell you, I see this um, advertised sometimes on, on Disney Plus, and, and I remember the, the um, uh, it looks really cool. It looks like it's got a really interesting story. Oh, it's amazing. And the music was uh, written by Lynn manuel Miranda, who I just love. Yeah, he did the work. He did the um, same work on Moana as well. And yes, the, these are almost we were talking about how these are almost sort of like um, Bookends or sort of like uh, complementary pieces to one another, both Moana and Encanto. I I saw it right around Christmas once they finally put it on Disney Plus. We missed being able to see it at the theaters, and it's a little bit more truly about um, dealing with family and the expectations of family. And it's sometimes the hardest quest is the quest that involves you uh, being able to reconcile long enough with with family members that you aren't immediately like enough to get something accomplished. And yeah. it's funny though how it it weaves that in, and and this is one that I can see my kids turn it on again the other day, and I sat down and I watched it, and I liked it a little bit more, and then watched it again, and I liked it a little bit more, and this is truly a movie with layers to it that you can kind of get into, and uh, and the musical numbers are wonderful, but like there's something a little deeper going on in Encanto that I think it's I think it has been designed to really speak to a specific kind of situation uh, you know when, when people find themselves sort of uh loners in their own families in in a situation that it doesn't need to be that way regardless of what it is when a family decides to hold something up as a standard and you realize you're the one that's left holding the you know you're you're the one that doesn't meet the standard and you're the black sheep you're the, the black family. sheep you're the one they don't talk about anymore and I think the thing is, is that's a that's a kind of feeling that we all can feel at certain times. You know, I think all of us don't measure up to somebody's measure stick. 
And when that happens inside of a family, it can really be difficult. And yet it does happen. And this, and sometimes even when people are well-meaning, and I think this movie, like you said, it doesn't feel gimmicky. It doesn't feel heavy handed. It isn't preachy. Um, It's just a beautiful little story. And I, 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 it's not on this list yet. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it will be. I actually, a uh, quick thing, I was actually talking to somebody, his name is uh, Trevor Young, on LinkedIn, and he actually worked on Encanto. Oh, very cool. Ooh. Yeah, so he was nice. giving me some like behind-the-scenes sort of stuff that he was doing, so that was really cool. That's awesome. All right, Dave, you're number four. All right, my number four is a tale as old as time. <laughs> And it is the first, uh, I want to say, animated film nominated for Best Picture. Yep. By the Academy Award, it is 1991's Beauty and the Beast. And I really do love, um, I love a lot about this movie. I love the music in it. You love a good Stockholm Syndrome movie? Yes. (laughs) In a way, yeah. In a way, yeah. Why not? In a way. (laughs) Um, but I love the music in this one and I love, uh, just sort of the fantasy of it, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's my, uh, that's my number four, um, is, is Beauty and the Beast. And this falls right into that, uh, that time frame, you know, um, starting with, uh, the Little Mermaid and going up to, uh, the, you know, the, the late nineties into the early two thousands where Disney was just sort of knocking it out of the park with, with a lot of what they were, uh, what they were turning out. Um, and, uh, just for me, this is just, it's just sort of a magical film. It really is. Yeah. This is where they broke through that ceiling, so to speak, you know, of the expectations yeah. and everything. And it is also my number four. Beauty and the Beast. I'm having this this horrible feeling that Dave and I may have the same top four. I don't know. uh, Maybe not, but (laughs) I'm starting to wonder. This is a wonderful movie. Stockholm Syndrome and all. No, I mean, so I I get that perspective and it is sort of a a problem with the potential problem with the Beauty and the Beast story. But I think that story, when it's done well, is really about something else. You know, it isn't really meant to be, oh, I've locked you up and now you love me. Uh, you know, and I think yeah. that when this story, to me, there are two uh, versions of this that do it exceptionally well. This is one of them. The other is uh, uh, Jean Cocteau's Bella Labat. The, the French one. French oh, one. that's brilliant. Um, I, I like that, that one a little bit more, but they're both. I probably do, too. Yeah. Yeah, I probably do too. The 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 four the one from the forties, yes, the black and white, uh, the the scenes with the hands coming out of the wall. Yeah, that is really something. But here, when you have the whole animated field to play with, what they get from this movie is spectacular. Uh, the way the beast looks, the way Bell looks, the honestly, you know, this movie too. One of the highlights is the servants that have been turned into furniture. And yeah. uh, you've got, you know, the candelabras and things like these characters are wonderful characters and everything about this. And and the musical numbers here, this this thing holds together well as a musical, uh, I think. Like I did I didn't need it to be live action. The live action movie was eh, whatever. It was, you know, it was OK. 
But this uh, it was okay. Yeah, I was. I was that the one with um. Oh God, the girl from Harry Potter. Yeah, Emma. Yeah. Emma. Um. Uh, Emma. Emily. Emma Watson. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was not. It was good. It, I, I thought that was good. But I mean, the, the animated one. I think. Yeah. Is, the, the, like, the problem was it was it, it's it's putting into live action a movie that was that is wondrous because it's an animation. You know, no, yeah, none of the agreed. scenes that happened in the live action film were remotely as effective because. There's something about the animation, the wolves in the forest and the and the the castle and that room with the rose in it and uh, every even the beast and how he moves and that ballroom scene. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a wonderful animated film. It, it was doing everything that Disney had done for years. Yes, it's another princess story. Yes, they don't have a lot of time to tell the story. So we it, it's a little bit uh, clipped, but I still think that that the idea of 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 a kind of uh, redemptive love that can see beyond our our faults and our our insecurities and the walls we put up. I think that's what the movie's about. I don't think it's actually arguing that you uh, you a guy locks you up in a room and just you know <laughs> you you can make right. him love you. Don't worry. Just just talk to the furniture long <laughs> enough and it'll all work out. Uh, <laughs> well, plus Belle, she's a pretty strong-willed uh, woman. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think if you take it for what it is on its on its on the level, it's a great it's a great movie. Yep. And Gaston is hilarious. He is, although yes. a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, he's so funny when you go to uh, when you you go to Disney and the the Gastons that walk around at Disney World, they're always like looking at themselves in the reflective surfaces of like the <laughs> like the they'll they'll catch themselves and look in the windows and stuff. It's pretty it's pretty cool. I, I gotta tell you, I've never been to Disney World, but I was I've been to Disneyland. Oh, now cool. that's going back to like 1974. <laughs> like Robin Hood was around, right? Like Robin Hood was the yeah. exactly that was that was very very uh, that was a long time ago that I was at Disneyland. Um, I think Pir- Pirates of the Caribbean, I think, was oh, still there yeah. well, at the time, and I remember, of course, the the it's a small world that is creepy as hell, and it still is because they have yes. that at Disney World, and my daughter started looking looking like the shifty eyes from side to side because they were coming out on all sides, marching out like soldiers. Then it's by it's so it's creepy. It's creepier than the haunted mansion. Uh, we rode the haunted mansion like three times. In small world, we're like we're done. Uh, but I, my wife somehow, um, she she's amazing. She worked out some deal. They like the right before the summer before COVID hit, she they had some kind of special, and she got some kind of ridiculous deal on a flight and everything else. And we went out there, and she had everything planned. Uh, not not mercenary, but you know, to the point where all the meals had been incorporated, and we had a great time it's a really i was i was uh uncertain about it how cool it would be but it's really cool and some of the coolest things dave are the things that have been there for 50 years you know like the peter pan ride and stuff like that but i say that to mention that towards the end we would see all these characters and my my daughter saw captain jack sparrow walk through and she goes who's that i'm like you're six years old stop (laughs) like what's this guy (laughs) we haven't seen these movies (laughs) i was like oh my gosh but then um my my wife, it's the last day. We're getting ready to leave. And my wife sees Little John and Robin Hood. There's been nowhere. Nowhere in the entire park is there any even hint that Robin Hood was ever a movie that Disney made. Wow. And from the distance, she sees him. And she, this poor bear, the dude in the bear costume, like she like 
tackle hugs him. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> She's like, you're my favorite. I'm like, I don't know what's happening right now. I'm pretty sure this entire trip is just so this could happen. But um, <laughs> but it is it's it's cool. And uh, uh, we actually ate in the a place that was in Bell's Castle, right next to the rose that's wilting, and the the leaves the petals are falling off as you eat. Oh, so. that's cool. So awesome. I don't know what the hell I was going with any of that. But number three. <laughs> Chris, what's your number three? <laughs> All right. Uh, this is probably my most controversial one. And it's even known as one of Disney's most expensive failures. But it's my favorite. <laughs> um, it is 2002 Treasure Planet. I love Treasure Planet. I think we've talked about this before. We did, I mean, yeah. I know you weren't particularly this. interested into it. Right. Um, <laughs> but, oh, my God, I loved it. And I don't know if maybe, you know... Again, with the age gap, uh, you know, being as a kid, it was more, in, you know, interesting and, and enthralling for a younger person. But uh, I don't, I, again, my brother and I. How many times do you want to mention it. the fact how much older I am than you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could be my dad. That's how old you are. <laughs> Dave was around when Treasure, Treasure Island was written. I'm just kidding, <laughs> but um, I, I got your back on this one. It's not, it's not in my top ten, but I really like this movie a lot. Um, and one of the things I like about it is how much of Treasure Island makes it into Treasure Planet. It's obviously the sci-fi version of the story, but you know what really works for me in this? Um, I more than anything else is the characterization of Long John Silver. Like the way they handle him that you have, if you don't get that character, right, you don't get treasure Island, right. Um, No matter what you do with it. And I thought in animation and the voice work and everything about him was one of the best long John Silver's I'd seen in the movies. Yeah. He was my favorite. Was that, that was Brian Doyle Murray, right? Uh, Brian Doyle Murray. I think uh, it is, but it's like, it's not, it's not the Brian Doyle Murray that is like, uh, he, like, he's. It's not the Brian Doyle Murray who is the um, uh, what? What is it? Bill the, Murray's uh, the, the guy from SpongeBob, <laughs> or yeah, or or the or the caddy or the the head of the caddies from Caddyshack, right? Right, right. No, no, no. This is um, uh, we we Dave, we we had the same conversation and we were stuck on this one at the time too. And I'm trying to remember uh how it came out. Brian Murray, just Brian Murray, no Doyle in the middle, just Brian Murray. He's oh, a South really? African it's actor. Brian, yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. I didn't know that. I thought for all these years, I thought it was Brian Doyle Murray who did um, the voice of Long John Silver. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And he died in 2018. He was uh, 80. But yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Um, oh. And that was probably his big movie was uh, was was Treasure Planet. But he's so it, it, everything that animation, the character design work, the way they incorporate the cyborg element, a spot on. One of my favorite Disney characters. Yeah, I think no, it, it was, I think it gets undeserved hate. Well, I, I I will have to say I have to watch it again. Treasure Island is my all time favorite novel. Yeah, I remember reading it back in ninety one, and it just blew me away. I love that book, and I know Treasure Planet was a a major bust. It basically was the one that sort of destroyed the um that that group uh, or or the creative minds that had sort of rebuilt Disney. Yeah. I think in 89, the two movies they wanted to make were Little Mermaid and Treasure Planet. Yeah. And they started with Little Mermaid and it pretty much ended with Treasure Planet. So I do have to go back and watch it again. Um, so, you know, maybe I have to watch it sort of stepping back a little bit from my love of Treasure Island. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, when I what I didn't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting a train wreck, and it's not that it's the greatest telling of Treasure Island, but I appreciated that they got a lot of the story in there. You know, a lot of the language felt right, right. even when it was replacing sci-fi elements. And it doesn't make sense that there are pirate ships in space or space whales or any of that damn crap but <laughs> it's cool i like it a lot my wife was surprised honestly when she heard my top 10 she's where's treasure plan don't you love it i said i i i like it because others don't as much i mean i i have to like i have to be vocal about it i it's a very good movie but it's not quite my top 10 but i i think that's a great pick yeah when people say like oh you like treasure planet i'm like what's wrong with it <laughs> it's amazing yeah, I get your back. I, I own it. I think it's great. And we, we watch that one relatively regularly. Uh, your number three, Dave. My number three has already been mentioned. It is The Little Mermaid. Nice. And from everything I, everything already talked about, I love two songs in this one that I think are great. And it's Under the Sea, which I think is an amazing song. And and what is it? Part of your Part of your world? Yes which is another one. I think that this movie has, this is where it sort of started off the, the trend of just great songs in Disney. And they've always had great songs in Disney movies. If you go back, you know, all the way back to the snow white and the seven yeah. dwarfs, they had great songs, but I loved the songs in the little mermaid. I thought they were amazing. Well, and I think you're looking at now with little mermaid, it's post broad post Broadway songs, right? Yeah, uh, and mm -hmm. that's the big difference. That's the thing that's happened in between the other Disney films. Where if you think about the songs, they would be sung, but they'd be either like little ditties, or they would be sort of expository to move the story along. They were very rarely these like internal monologues that captured who the characters were, you know, which is very much a Broadway, a musical thing. Like that wasn't. Mm -hmm. You think about all the songs in Robin Hood. I mean, those are mostly like pop songs that are then like right. one character gets to sing them versus the other and in the little mermaid all of these songs are very much tied into who the characters are and what they're doing and so it's a point when disney's literally now making musicals that happen to be animated they do that for a few right. years exactly yeah and, and beauty and the beast is yeah. another one cool well my number three has also already been mentioned it's the nightmare before christmas and not much more I can say about it. Just think it's a beautiful, brilliant movie in every single way. I love it. It's a movie you just want to kind of crawl into that world, even though it'd be kind of creepy at first, <laughs> at least Halloween Town. Uh, I also think it's such a great. I was a I was a teenager when it came out, but I think it's kind of the. It, it's one of those we talk about the movies and who the audience is for. This is a great movie. I think it's a great movie for kids. It's a great movie for adults, but it is also kind of this perfect. I feel like this would be a great one for the sort of like uh, when you get into the, the preteen and into teen like this, the character of Jack Skellington and, and the restlessness of I want something new. I'm the same old thing and I want to I want experiencing something new and I just don't, I don't want to just experience it. I want to make it mine. But it's sometimes in our efforts to make it ours, we wreck it. And there's <laughs> just so much great stuff, almost deep kind of stuff going on in this. And it, but it's just such a fun world i love when he falls from the sky after his after he's tried to be santa claus and it doesn't work out and he falls into the arm of the angel and he's laying there like julius caesar or something slumped over i mean like i'm just thinking about 
like the watching that movie and thinking who comes up with this and you know and can, will they make some more so i can watch it also you know i everything about this is just a world i got to see this i took my kids to the baltimore symphony orchestra where they did this with a live musical accompaniment last year we went to the drive-in and saw it i mean i would watch this movie underwater if they played it i mean there's pretty much no way i wouldn't watch this it was like green eggs and ham yes in a box yes with a fox that's my number three um also i think like i feel like halloween lovers and christmas yes. lovers are almost like mortal enemies <laughs> but but this one but this one like brings them all together yes yeah, yeah it kind of bridges the gap a this is bit. the oh, that's a beautiful yeah. thing we literally watch this movie twice every year and sometimes a third time because <laughs> right. what the hell you know you keep watch it in the summer too right <laughs> nice. there is a door for easter so the hell with it it's easter um yeah and thanksgiving yeah yeah number two chris number two i have uh, another 90s movie for you, and that is Mulan. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, this one, basically, I I don't know. I felt I really resonate with her, you know, being like, you know, her father's ill and she joins the army and, you know, not only proving herself, but not in, in her family, but to her country, you know, that the sacrifice that she's willing to make. Um, yep. I don't know. And just like animation wise, I just thought it was amazing. And and did this not give um, Eddie Murphy a warm up for Donkey? And she to- yeah, it totally did. <laughs> she was amazing. Yeah. Nice. That's a good one. Yeah, I uh, I I really like this movie, and I you know it's funny because I saw it in '98. I remember seeing it at the theater and not and and enjoying it, but not being all that impressive, particularly. I remember making a comment that I just don't think these songs really work. And I wasn't as impressed. I was like, ah, you know, it feels like these songs are kind of thrown together. I mean, but during quarantine, they did this thing in the early quarantine. Disney did a sing along. And if you guys had seen this or remember this, where like uh, all different people got together on Zoom meetings and did like on, on one of the networks and uh, did did renditions of the Disney songs. And they had Donny Osmond singing, I'll make a man out of you. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. it set my kids off on this thing where we made so much Milan every single other day and, you know, memorized every single song. And I got to say, you know, we like after all of that, you'd think I'd hate it, but I like it a lot more. And I think it's a really, and then when the live action film came out and I realized, oh, well, you know, the animation is the, the animated film's way better. <laughs> Actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and they gave her like an eagle in the movie, right, or something. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they like, come on. They, you need new shoe. Yeah, I get the, the, the dragon. I, I'm gonna be honest, and I just said I love dragons. The Mushu, I liked him, but I didn't know that he completely fit in Mulan. But you know, whatever. Um, that scene <laughs> when the Huns come down the the mountain and there's the uh, ice avalanche is is uh, even though you can see some of the CGI there now, that's an amazing scene. Yeah, he's right there in front of you. How could you miss? Nice. Your number two, Dave. My number two is the last film that Walt Disney oversaw before his death. It is 1967's The Jungle Book. Nice. And it's based on Roger Kipling's classic tale. And... Again, you know what? It has some really good characters in this one. I like the characters. Um, you have Bagheera, uh, voiced by the great Sebastian Cabot. Um, uh, Ka, 
who was Sterling Holloway, probably best known as the voice of um, uh, Winnie the Pooh. Yep. Um, Mowgli, the young boy. Um, uh, I think it was Bruce Reitherman. I think he was actually the son of uh, somebody who worked at Disney, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but then you have uh, Baloo. Phil Harris yeah. <laughs> did a great job as Baloo in this one. But King Louis, Louis Prima, this movie turned me on to Louis Prima, the band leader. Yep. <laughs> and I ended up getting, I ended up downloading off of um, the internet a ton of Louis Prima songs because of his, his performance in this movie as King Louis. You know, and then of course you have Shere Khan, George Sanders. Um, you know, who does a great job as Shere Khan. But again, it's the music in this one. You know, I want to be like you, I think is my favorite. That's the Louis Prima <laughs> song in this one. Um, yeah, I just, I just love it. I, that That's my favorite. The Bare Necessities is great, obviously. Um, but I want to be like you is my favorite number. I think it's jazzy. It's almost like this 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 movie has sort of a New Orleans vibe. It, yeah, yeah. You know, this sort of jazzy vibe to it that I think really resonates. It's really kind of playful and irreverent, and it's not what you would think the vibe would be for the Jungle Book, but it's cool that they, like, it's very, it's very like, uh, idiosyncratic. Like, they went for it, and it, it works. <laughs> it does. It really does. And in the end, I felt a little bad that Mowgli ended up leaving the jungle because like I would have wanted time. to stay in that jungle my <laughs> yes. whole life, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I really like this one, too. And I this is one case where I think that they when they remade this, uh, though there were two remakes recently, when they remade this, because it wasn't just an adaptation of the book, it was really a remake of that animated film. When uh, was it... Uh, Oh, uh, John Favreau did it. I thought he did an amazing job with that with that film. Yeah. Uh, the the mm-hmm. ta- uh, the the talking animals. I was less impressed with the Lion King, which is almost like a shot shot for shot remake. But this one, and then when they they the Christopher Walken is the voice of this giant, you know, uh, uh, King Louis, <laughs> like this this <laughs> massive gorilla. <laughs> what does uh, and and didn't didn't Bill Murray, Bill Murray do Baloo? is Baloo, and he comes and he goes, yeah. oh, great sagging mountain of flesh or something he's what he calls like king louis when he sees him he's sitting in the back of this thing i mean that was such a good movie there was a fun 90s cartoon that was derived from it's called tailspin that took all of those characters and almost did like a we you know you talk about it just had a new orleans vibe so that made it like almost a 1940s flying uh flying ace adventurer story where baloo is the you know he he runs this kind of broke down uh you know giving almost like african queen but instead he has a he has a plane instead of a boat and uh all the characters are you know shere khan and king louis runs like you know he, he he's got like the uh the the little uh spot that sells daiquiris on the beach you know that kind of thing he's sitting there in his in his uh you know, hose Hawaiian shirt and everything, but it, it was a, it was fun. That was when they were doing like a Chippendale rescue Rangers and Darkwing duck and all those Ducktales. Yes. It was all a part mm-hmm. of that sort of a staple of things. The original Ducktales, which, which yeah. is a fun, that was a fun time where they were putting some creativity into those, those shows. But yeah, that's awesome. I love the, the jungle book. Cool. Great pick. Um, my number two is, uh, went back and forth between this and my number one. This is Fantasia. And I, I know that it's, you know, it's to me, it's just 
amazing. Like I love watching Fantasia. It is not a story. It is several pieces of classical music that have then been sort of envisioned as stories or, or pieces of stories by animators. And I think when it was made and conceived, it was so ambitious. Uh, and I think it was very impressive at the time. And I still think it's impressive for years. It was never available on VHS. And I don't know if you remember this day, but I did. By the time I saw Fantasia, it was one of those deals where I'd heard so much about it. And then finally you're getting around to seeing it. And uh, you know, it's like, wait, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was my first experience, but then upon rewatch and rewatch, this is amazing. That you know, there are pieces of music here where they show the 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 entire like genesis of the Earth and the time of the dinosaurs and the comet coming, and you have this whole world of the, of, of dancing um, uh, vegetation and and mushrooms, and you know, and it's it, it's all these pieces of music you recognize, uh, the Nutcracker and things like that. But it in in with these great visual interpretations and you and you kind of come to this conclusion where you see fantasy there's greek mythology there's this sequence the night on bald mountain where you see these demons cavorting and there's a bit of ave maria that, that, that kind of wraps the whole thing up i just think for animation like one of the greatest animated movies i've ever seen that shows what you could do with a combination of animation and music like to me it's a a pure masterpiece, a pure sort of distillation of, of of people pushing their craft to see how far they can go with it. And I think it's one of the greatest things Disney's ever done. Yeah, it's awesome. It really, I haven't seen it in a lot of years. Yeah, same. But it is pretty amazing. Yeah, and and it's funny too because it's one that you – and of course the Sorcerer's Apprentice. I'm leaving that out, and that's probably one of the signature pieces that everyone remembers. This the little bit with Mickey with, with and the Mickey, brooms, yeah. Yes. Which is, yeah. but I all of the movie is really, uh, really pretty cool, and I was impressed. I turned it on for my kids, and they were into it as well. And so, yeah, it went, one of my all time favorites. It's Fantasia. So. Here we are. We went through this relatively quick, considering that we spent about an hour talking about one movie. And uh, so, uh, and I might, might get this done before three hours. Uh, number one, Chris, your number one animated Disney film. Yeah, my number one is going to be The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Wow, I did not see that coming. Wow, nice. Yeah. Nobody does. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not knocking it. I was a big fan of this movie when it came out. Um, I'm just still a fan of it, but um i i it didn't get a lot of uh initial praise you know and i was surprised i saw it but this is good yeah i mean it's definitely one of the darker disney movies <laughs> yes. um that's what i like about it <laughs> and the music's great and the characters are great and awesome. i know and and me and Dave, we talk a lot about like religion at work and stuff like that, and you know the the idea of faith and and all of that with Notre Dame and and Frollo. It's just it's very fascinating to watch. Yeah, when I saw this, I remember there's that scene when Frollo is singing into the fire and he's singing about dark fire and and yeah. and his passions burning for Esmeralda, and I'm like. This is not the part I thought was going to make it into the Disney film, and right? and the fire takes the 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 contours of her body, and it's dancing in front of his eyes. And he's saying about, you know, he, he, the lyrics say things like, "And why is this part of your plan to make the devil stronger than the man?" I mean, it's some crazy kind of. It's like the most dramatic reaction to a boner. 
<laughs> it is. And yet, you know, this is this is a significant part of that novel. I mean, which is a fantastic novel. Uh and the movie yeah. and this in this movie doesn't quite capture that novel, but I was surprised. And Frollo, I mean, he, that's another really good Disney rendition of a villain that I didn't expect to have the sort of depth of the character there and the hunchback character tom holtz as the hunchback uh now i like this one a lot and um i i i really liked it when it came out i wasn't a big fan of pocahontas and hercules and some of those but this one i thought was un uh kind of um unfairly maligned I, it, disney took a big chance making it and then not just making it but also not making it a gothic horror but trying to make it a story about somebody and you know and and really honoring the original source material. I thought it was very good. That's an yeah, I'm, you know, I'm happy you have it here. In the end, when like Esmeralda, she's on the pyre getting burned. Yes. <laughs> like, it's, come on. Have you read the novel? I have not. I highly recommend it. It's, it's very, uh, it's very good. And, um, very cool. but, uh, yeah, this is a good version. And in some ways as good nice. as some of those old ones with, with Charles Lawton and, and, and ones in it. In some ways it's more, more true to the story. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the Charles Law. I mean, obviously Lon Chaney. Oh yeah, yeah, Lon Chaney is, is a masterpiece. But, but, yeah. but I really like the Charles Lawton version as well. From 39. the last shot of that one is great. That's where he's just up there. <laughs> I, it's great, and the scene where he's he's swinging down. Yes, to to rescue Esmeralda off of off you know sanctuary sanctuary. It's another great scene. Yeah, it's awesome. So Dave, your number one Disney movie. My number one is a movie that's already been mentioned. And it is The Lion King. Hey, very cool. 94. I love this movie and I love a lot about it. But you mentioned it, Nathan, that opening sequence, you know, that that opening scene where all the animals are going and you have Circle of Life playing. Um, and that it's funny how that song starts. It's it's so it, it has that African vibe to yeah. it, you know, that that, that sort of that sort of scream at the start of that song, it actually takes me back in, in 90, I want to say it was 95. Um, my wife and I had just gotten married and my entire family, we flew over to England. We spent a couple of weeks in England and I remember we had just landed and we're driving and I had my Walkman, you know, my <laughs> tape player that I was listening to. Well, I fell asleep in the back seat of the car. My brother and father were in the front seat. My wife was in another car with my sister-in-law and we're driving, we're getting out to, to Peterborough, England. We had landed in London and we're driving out to Peterborough. And I had fallen asleep in the back seat. Well, my brother reached over and got my tape out. And he goes, because the car we had rented had a tape player in it. And he's like, well, let's see if this tape will play. Let's listen to it. No, I was asleep, but I had woken up for this. And as soon as it started to play, the first song I had on there was Circle of Life. <laughs> and that whole thing of, ma, you know, it, it's it. Both of them said scared the shit out of me. <laughs> that is funny. But I love that. And another thing that I love about this is um, a lot of, you know, the voice work is awesome. You have a lot of great, you know, Matthew Broderick doing the grown up Simba. Um, uh, obviously, uh, Jeremy Irons as, as a scar and James Earl Jones and Mufasa, some great voice work. But, and I really like, um, who was it? Rowan Atkinson. Yes, I was going to say Rowan Atkinson. Sort of the Rowan Atkinson plays sort of sort of Simba's, uh, 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 I guess his assistant, and he has one of my favorite lines in this when they're going to the watering hole, 
when, when Simba and Nala are younger. He's like, hurry, children, the sooner we get there, the sooner we can leave. <laughs> yeah. He'd start singing, it's a small world after all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. He's, uh, yeah. I'd like it. And of course, you know, it's so funny because uh, I think of that time frame, I remember I'm like, oh, it's Mr. Bean, but no one would have known that because Mr. Bean doesn't speak. So it's Black Adder, right. is what I'm thinking. Right. It's Black <laughs> Adder, right. That's who I was thinking when I was, it was definitely Black Adder. Yeah. <laughs> no, but this is for me. Um, when my wife was pregnant with my, um, with my oldest son, um, I had bought some Disney videos to sort of prepare for it. She ended up watching the lion King once a week (laughs) while she was pregnant with my, with my oldest son. Um, because she just fell in love with the movie, even to the point that we got the sequel, which is not nearly as good. No, no, it's not as good. But it's not as bad as some of the other sequels that Disney came out with later. No, on. they started churning them out at a pretty, uh, pretty high rate. There, I remember paying to see um, uh, Jungle Book two in the theater, oh. and I was like kicking myself. I'm like, oh my god, they were doing that. Terrible. Peter Pan too. Yeah, I oh Peter Pan. I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I didn't do any of that. Thankfully, I remember that when they came out. Thankfully, I didn't. I think thing is, I didn't have little kids at that time, or I would have been doing oh, it I too. Did. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I paid to see Peter Pan too. Also, and I just think I was just remember thinking, I why why do I keep doing this? <laughs> I ended up going to the Nickelodeon movies more. I took them to see Hey Arnold. Those were actually happening. And the Wild Thornberries and the Rugrats movies yeah. and things like that ended up being more entertaining than what Disney was turning out with those sequels. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, no that that was that was a dark that was a dark period um, of of creative bankruptcy. But I remember that, and they were yeah they were not good. Um, no. Well, my number one is, uh, I guess, uh, Italy's favorite horror movie, Pinocchio. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, I love Pinocchio. This is definitely one that is partially because it was one of the first animated movies I remember seeing. I remember one of the first movies I remember scaring the pee out of me. And uh, But it, there's something about Pinocchio that has just continued to endure. And it's part of that magical element of... This is what can be done with animation and almost what can only be done with animation. And Pinocchio was one of those stories that I think any other time, I'm curious to see what Del Toro is going to do with it here with his upcoming animated movie. But I think that it's one of those films where you need animation to tell it in a way that it is not going to trip up on itself, you know? And there's so many things here, the wooden boy, the giant whale, the, children turning into donkeys the little cricket uh, which is really i mean the way the cricket the jiminy cricket is mostly a disney invention the cricket is there but you know it, the way that is built into the story and geppetto and the movie captures its theme that it's trying to tell kind of beautifully it takes that story that's full of a lot of dark edges it builds up some of the dark edges it's a fable again but it captures the heart the story of this of this he wants to be a real boy and this man wants to be a father and the the story that comes out of that is extremely heartfelt, I think. I mean, I think Pinocchio works on all these levels, and it is creepy and trippy, and it is nightmarish, and it is a horror story at some points, and it's a wonderful fantasy, and it's a wonderful story about parents and children, and I think, but it it never seems to press too hard to be any of these things. It just sort of is what it is, you know? It is very much that kid being told a bedtime story in a very fluid manner and, and in the animation talk about fluid just you know the the i've got no strings and watching pinocchio when you're a little kid and seeing that kind of stuff for the first time it does feel like magic you're watching the puppet come to life yeah. you're watching these people be swallowed by the whale and things like that and uh 
yeah, and I love the songs. I love everything about this movie. I still think it, in some ways, it is. It's such a. Uh, this is another one. Looks beautiful on Blu-ray, and it nice. really, I think, captures the what made Disney great is that it understood it was making movies for children and making movies for adults, and it could make them both both sets of people look at the screen at the same time and and and, and be astounded. Very cool. And wasn't this a second? Wasn't this the one that followed up? Snow White? Yeah. yeah. Uh, was it the it was. second? It was after. Was it the second? Because D- Dumbo was 41. Yeah. Bambi was after that, I'm pretty sure. Yes. I think Pinocchio might have been the second one. I mean, it took him a few years to make it, obviously. I think it was 19, like a three-year Pinocchio gap. was 1940. Yeah, and I think it was a three-year gap between them, but I know it takes a long time, obviously, yeah. to put these together. Nice. Have you seen the... Uh... The, the trailer for the new one. It's a trailer out now. It's so, it's so funny. The voice of Pinocchio. You have to listen to. Is it, it funny, like link. incidentally funny or purposely funny? I'll I, I have, I'll send you the link to it right now because you have to listen to. It. Okay, I will definitely take a look. People at it. are laughing about it on Twitter. Okay. Oh no. That's interesting because I re- see it's I remember when Beni uh what is it Roberto Benini came out with his Pinocchio oh God in heaven. <laughs> which was just a just a disaster. It was Yeah, I got to see that. I got to I got to listen to that trailer now because it's funny. It's you funny have of all to, the Dave. Pinocchios, it's it seems like Disney's the only one who did a decent version of it. So yeah, that's my number 1 and uh yeah, I you know it's funny nobody had Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was close. I almost yeah. put Aladdin on. I just didn't know who what to knock off for. It, to be I know. I had they, and they, it's funny because almost all those movies were on at one. Like I didn't even realize until we got done here. Lion King had fallen off the list, but <laughs> but um, but I think that's cool. I think I didn't know um, if you have any others you want to mention. There are some movies that I love that didn't end up in here. I love the Sword in the Stone, honestly. Um, yes, I, I almost put that on. Yeah, there's also Sebastian Cabot, I believe. And uh, they were using a lot of the same voice actors at the time. My wife would yell at me if I didn't mention Robin Hood. That's her favorite. And I, I enjoy Robin Hood, too. It's um, The Black Cauldron is one I like that I don't think anybody else likes right. from the early 80s. <laughs> uh, Don, that was when Don Bluth was part of the series. Did you see that one, Dave? I uh, Years yeah. ago. It's been a long time, but I do remember um, seeing it, yes. And... Uh, any of the other old ones? I do. I do like uh, Peter Pan. Uh, Lady and the Tramp is one that I do enjoy as well. One hundred one Dalmatians. I remember seeing that on the big screen as well. Yeah, that and that's that's very kind of like uh, that's very sixties. You could totally tell yes, like what's that's that's kind of wild. A uh, one that um, I think my siblings liked a lot was the Aristocats. I I've never quite gotten into right. Aristocats. Oh, I like Aristocats. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but lots there's they have lots of of good ones. I was talking uh um when when uh a little earlier with uh Chris we we're talking about uh Ray and the Last Dragon is really good, which just came out this past year. Uh, I highly recommend that one, David. Very cool fantasy uh story and uh, really great nice. characters. And it you know um I've, I've been quite impressed with some of the stuff that Disney's been doing. Lately, yeah. I mean, and I think they're in another sort of renaissance as far as their storytelling. And uh, I but I'd love to see them do another, another, uh, like hand drawn animation. 
I really oh, would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Princess and the Frog, I think, like we mentioned earlier, I yeah. think that's worth mentioning as well. Yeah, it was good. It was a lot of fun. It had a lot of that same. Two thousand nine was a strong year for animation. There were five really good movies up for best animated film that year, and Princess and the Frog was one of them. Yeah, there were there were a lot of good ones because the like, Coraline was that year. The Fantastic Coraline Mr. Was that Fox, year. Mary yep, and Max, and, and then you. And then you had, um, uh, oh God, what was the um, Up? Oh God, I just had, oh, uh, Secret of the Kells. Oh, see, yeah, Secret of the Kells. Kells, And Up was that year, Pixar. Um, Yep, exactly. Yeah, there was good stuff all over the place. There was one, I don't know if it was that year or the next year called, it was like Ernest and Celestine or something. Yeah, that was cool too. That was Mm -hmm. really good. Yeah. Uh, But hey, that's, that is our episode. That's our top 10 picks. Uh, Anyone who's listening, if you have your your favorite Disney animated films, please let us know. You can go over to our Facebook page at Phantom Galaxy, and uh, I'll put a when this episode is up, I will have a uh, post up there. You can share those, and then uh, if you want to drop us a line, you can at phantomcast at gmail.com. Let us know what your favorite Disney animated film is. I did, and uh, yeah, that's our episode. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. It was so much fun having yes. you back. And um, I'm glad we had someone to represent the newer <laughs> cast. <laughs> yeah. I had a couple in Definitely. there. Dave had a couple in there, but I, yeah. I had a couple, yeah. but yeah, no, trust me at work. Chris is always reminding me how much older I am. <laughs> yeah, I always call him. I am like, Hey, old man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, uh, that's our show. I will go ahead. We'll go around and let everyone, uh, you let us know where um, where we can find you elsewhere on the internet. Uh, you and uh, Chris, you and I can go to sleep while Dave lists all the various <laughs> yeah. places you can find him. <laughs> Dave, go ahead and let everybody know where uh, you can find him. All you right. Well, if, uh, I have still have my blog, still posting new reviews over on DVDinfatuation.com. I'm on Twitter at DVDinfatuation. I'm on Facebook, Letterboxd, Instagram. I have my YouTube channel still lingering out there. Um, as far as uh, other podcasts, uh, you can hear me on uh, my DVD Infatuation podcast, which is on the Considering the Cinema uh, network. Well, not network, but uh, Jay of the Dead's uh, uh, Considering the Cinema. Uh, he hosts my DVD Infatuation podcast. Uh, I'm on the, um, obviously, uh, Land of the Creeps with, uh, with uh, Greg Amortis and Bill the Butcher and Pearl. We have such a good time over there. I am on Horror Movie Podcast. And our newest venture is um, the Jay of the Dead's new horror movies. Such a lot of fun. And we have a new one coming out very soon. Um, And uh, yeah, so that's uh, pretty much it. Thank you uh, so much. Yeah, yeah. I'll put links to all those in the show notes, including a new podcast, which is great. Kind of almost has a horror magazine sort of feel. There's every every five or six minutes, there's something new. Uh, Okay. and, And Chris, how about yourself? Oh, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Other than this yeah, podcast. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've it's been great um, having you on tonight, and we look forward to having you on again yes. in the future. And uh, Absolutely. And congratulations well, again. Yes, I'm saying congratulations. congratulations, and I'm looking forward to you. Uh, bringing you back one day when you can uh, talk to us about the short film you made or the feature-length <laughs> film you made or whatever you made. Yes. So. Well, I, I did apply to some, some big wigs, so you might see my name on the big screen sometime. That would be very cool. That would be, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, 
um good yeah good luck to you hope everything works out and again we will have you on Thank again you. here soon on the illustrated fan so very quickly dave do you want to do sad ass movies next time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can kind of cut this down. Karen Wagner watched the Plague Dogs upon my recommendation, so I feel I owe it to her oh, to have her on God. to talk about it with us. That that we, we yeah we should call it movies to open your wrists. We should have everybody. Yeah, we, maybe we'll do <laughs> a list of sad movies water. and review the Plague Dogs. But I think we got to we'll pair do, it with something else. Plague Dogs, Watership Down. We might. I don't know if we can do that all at one time. Man. <laughs> <laughs> she oh, recommended God. the Last Unicorn. I kind of I think that oh, would be fun. Uh, do, do you okay. ever see that one? I I don't think I have seen the last unicorn. Oh, I've honest, seen that I've one. Seen, I've seen plague dogs. My God. But, but, well, let's do plague dogs and maybe the last unicorn to save watership okay. down because I think that if we did the wind blows, then I would just my children would no longer have a oh, father. Oh my God! The wind blows. <laughs> yes, exactly. That would do. At the end of it, we'd just be weeping into the microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I feel like you know she watched it. We have to talk about it, but I don't know if we should. Subject. I think she, she and I've been talking about the last unicorn, so I think it'll be fun to do. So, okay, um, there you go. Perfect. All right. Well, that's the episode, and this is the Illustrated Fan. Everyone, take care and have a great night. If you've been enjoying the music here on Fan of Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Mm-hmm.